Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I am Larry Zonka, and this is episode 80 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the411mania.com website, and any major podcasting platform. Joining me today, since Jeremy Lambert is lazy and taking the weekend off, is a special guest from BackBodyDrop.com, my friend Ian Hamilton. Ian, how are you, sir? Hey, Larry, not too bad. It's an absolute pleasure to be on the show. Uh, like I said on Twitter after the announcement, 411 was one of the websites that actually followed wrestling news on back in the day, so it's an absolute pleasure to you know kind of close that loop. Awesome, yeah. It's uh, good, good to talk to you finally. We... Uh... For the listeners, Ian and I, we uh, spend uh, my early mornings and his later mornings chatting a lot while we're reviewing New Japan. So uh, <laughs> that's always been kind of our common connection over the past year, especially. Well, if all those Road 2 shows and Tag League shows ain't going to watch themselves, you know? Uh, yeah, and nobody else is going to talk to me when I'm doing them. So, <laughs> Especially Tag League. Yes, especially Tag League. Uh, so today we have a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about, uh, obviously, the Wrestle Kingdom shows, day one and day two. Uh, and then we're also going to talk a little bit about uh, preview NXT UK uh, Blackpool 2020, which takes place this coming weekend. Um, before we kind of get into the bones of everything, we uh, probably should talk about the attendance for the shows. And... One thing is I think people need to understand is kind of prior to Wrestle Kingdom 7, there was a lot of big time working at the numbers. Think WWE and WrestleMania for entertainment purposes only. Yeah. So from Wrestle Kingdom 7 through 13, attendance ran anywhere between 25 and 38,000 paid. Uh, so for night one, they announced 40,008 paid for the show. And according to other sources, there were 43 in the building about. So that's with all the comps and the uh, like giveaways and stuff like that, which is up from the 38,162 from last year. So that's very good. Uh, night two. Uh, oh, so in comparison, like uh, Wrestle Kingdom 12 did just about 35. Um, day two here this year did 30,063. So they did a combined 70,071 for the two days. First looking in, is this good news? Do you think it's a successful weekend? So I think on the whole, yes, there's no way you can't paint as a success. Um, I mean, there's photos throughout this morning, you know, long lines at the merch stand, what have you. So yeah, 70,000 fans for a show, okay, across two dates. You can't not paint that as a success. The one concern which I think a few people are going to bring up, I know I brought it up in my review, is the fact that you had the main event of Night 2, a spoil of anyone who's not followed, obviously, but Naito and Okada, that was a match they had kept away from for, I think it was two years and today, literally. And to give that on one day's build, okay, we don't know what, you know, what the walk-up was, but to have that kind of drop, you know, losing a quarter of a crowd, you know, day-to-day, I can't call this a failure but it's also a bit of a disappointment i would say that you know maybe they're expecting a bit more especially for a match that i think i was looking on cage match beforehand and they'd been largely kept away even in those undercard tags for best part of last year so yeah to me it, you know you ne- you're never going to know obviously but had they just had a one big wrestle kingdom and built that one match properly from better word you know, you may have gotten you know more than forty thousand, but you know for what you had seventy thousand over two shows, 
yeah, I, I don't think it's too much of a failure, despite it's it's not a failure at all, despite you know that bit of an asterisk on day two. Yeah, I think overall for the weekend, I definitely would call it a success. Um, I think the two day thing was a really good experiment. I, I saw no problem in trying it. My one concern going into it was the possible day two drop in attendance from whatever day one was going to be. And that was because you had, you know, you're going into day two with three matches undetermined. The U.S. title match, the quote-unquote like loser's bracket match, and then your main event. So that is, stuff like that is why, you know, like WWE stopped doing King of the Ring because you didn't know who was going to be in the main event. And they were afraid of losing buys and ticket sales. And so, as you mentioned, to give Okada and Naito away on the quote-unquote one-day notice, which it basically was, I mean, yes, there's obviously a long backstory there. But to kind of give it away on day one or one day and hope that you're going to maintain attendance to day two, that's the questionable move to me. I do think the two-day experiment was a good one. I think it was uh, kind of ballsy, but it worked out well with everything being on the weekend. You draw 70,000 fans, and there's live reports of people having to wait throughout the show like an hour at merch stands. Like, outrageous lines. So, they probably did a ton of merch business on top of the ticket sales. So, definitely overall a success, but I think you can slightly question some things because yeah i mean if you build to an okada naito rematch and you you know it's out there for how many ever weeks you may draw really big you may draw well over 40 i mean we're not going to find out right now um i mean they could obviously eventually go back to it we'll see but i mean yeah i think that's the the big questionable thing for me but i would call it a success as well yeah i guess the one bit you know you touched on they did for two days back to back in the dome Obviously, fourth and fifth this year is a weekend. We're not going to get that until 2025. So, you know, next year, they obviously didn't announce anything beyond, I believe, uh, G1 finals and the announced video today. Uh, but I would imagine next year, you know, the fourth is going to be on a Monday. So, you know, I guess we're back to the one day at the Tokyo Dome and then we'll you know, try this again in 2025, assuming. We don't have some kind of apocalypse, you know, where WWE signs up Noah Zero One, Dragon Gate, DDT, and Japan becomes the same kind of hellscape that some believe the UK indie scene has. But you know, that's perfect time for later on. Fair enough. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. It, it does seem like back to business as usual next year. But we have two shows to break down here, starting with the January fourth show, and we started off pre-show match, um, which was. Alex Coughlin, Carl Fredericks, Clark Connors, and Toa Hanar defeating Togi Makabe, Tomiyaki Hanma, Yuya Uemura, and Yota Suji, 740 via pin. Um, overall, I thought this was a good and fun little opening match, and I was absolutely thrilled to see Hanare pick up the win for the fact that, I joked in my preview, he feels like the college student that graduated two years ago, but he's still living in the attic of the frat house with all of his friends. <laughs> Because he's in the weirdest fucking place right now. He's not a young lion. He hasn't been for a long time. He's had gear and music for a long time. But while he's had some singles matches here and there, he never really picks up anything resembling an important win or doesn't look to get anything resembling a push at any time. So I was really glad to see him pick up the win. Yeah, I mean, you know, talking about uh, Hanare, 
I think the big issue he had was he came in around the same time as your Juice Robinson and your David Finlay's. Neither of those guys really had the excursion. They came, obviously, through the dojo system. And I think it's the kind of thing where now, obviously, no, obviously Juice and Finlay won the belts. Hanare, he's one of those guys who you'd almost think, should he go on an excursion? I mean, he's got the gear and music, so he, you know, that year out he had with the, with, I think it was the Achilles injury. That was almost like the, you know, here's your excursion, but not really kind of thing. The one issue I think I had with the match, and nothing to do with the match itself, but more the teams, is the way those teams were made up. So, you know, uh, Hanari was you know, teaming with the LA Dojo lads, and I don't know if this, obviously weren't going this way yesterday, but the one thing which is going to be worth keeping an eye on is Carl Fredericks. Um, obviously, he won the Young Lion Cup last year. If he starts to to eclipse Hanari or no, even some below T guys, I wouldn't put Finley in that bracket, but you know, those kind of guys now. I would say this year, and it feels like we've been saying this for a while, this year really is make, make or break or Hanari. You know, you've got you know, a, a good clutch of young lions coming through who, okay, they're, they're imported from LA, but you've got a clutch of young lions who are getting wins over main roster guys. I mean, Carl Fredericks, he got, was it six points with uh, Hiroki Goto in Tag League? Something you like never, that, yeah. You never get that in World Tag League unless you've you know, got a load of young lion teams. So they've got their eye on Carl Fredericks for something, and even though he didn't get the, the fall here, um, he's one I would really keep an eye out on in 2020. Uh, yeah, as for you know, Hanawe, yeah, he's one of those, he's almost begging for some kind of push, but the issue you've got now, you know, the whole thing over the weekend, they pretty much merged two title belts into one. What kind of push do you give him, especially now they are effectively one mid-card belt less? Yeah, and I, I know some people were like, well, he they're, they're going to be running a bunch of USA shows. He could do that. But, I mean, obviously, Coglin, Fredericks, and Connors are probably going to be working a lot of that. And they'll be bringing in some other guys. So, I mean, I don't know exactly if there'll be a ton of room for Hanare. You know what I mean? So, it's like, yeah, he's in such a weird place. And I think you said it right that I think this is kind of a make-or-break year. It's like if he if he doesn't do much this year, is he just kind of like, is he Chase Owens or Ujiro? And I don't mean that, like, in a horrible way, but, I mean, that's just, they are what they are. I mean, like, Chase Owens is a good workhorse guy. I like Chase Owens. Yudro is fine. He does a lot of good work. I mean, he works way fucking harder than Fowley in those tags. So I don't mind him, but, I mean, is that, like, Hanare's destiny? Is that, like, his ceiling? I think we'll find out, and hopefully it's more than that, because I think he has a lot of potential. Oh, definitely. I mean, what you've got to think of as well is Hanare like Juice, like Finley, had some sort of career before he came to New Japan. You know, I, I know uh, on the commentary, uh, the English commentary, Kevin Kelly keeps talking about him being on posters for Premier Promotions over here in England. Even though he's not been in this country for years. So it's not like this is a guy who came in, has been trained from the ground up. Uh, but yeah, I think 2020 definitely is the crunch year for him. One other thing I would say, obviously, you know, a lot of young Lions... Um, it was three LA Dojo lads to the two remaining New Japan Young Lions in this opening match. Um, there's a few names at the ringside which I think may be a bit interesting. Um, obviously, Gabriel Kidd, who you know, we'll talk about later on, he came to play during the uh, Tech Steph match. Uh, but did you notice there's another Young Lion who has kind of connections to um, a certain head in NXT? 
No, I didn't know this. Who was her? Uh, Bailey Matthews. Um, so, you know, I don't know how much was out there, but I've saw them throughout the two shows. Uh, reportedly, William Regal's kid. I don't know how much that's out. That's out in the open. He did a bit of a tour of the UK and Europe just over a year ago. He did one dark match of progress. Um, I saw him over in WXW during 16 Carat Gold last week, uh, last year. Um, he's one of these guys who I don't think much has made tape of him. Um, so, you no, know, obviously he's trying to you know, build up a career without you know, working on, on, on his dad's name, which is you a know, really good thing to do. But it's a whole hopping around from, you know, done a couple of bits in the UK, none of which made tape, obviously the WXW stuff. And I think it's very telling that there's been a few of the people noticed this well. You've got a guy who's very high up in WWE. His son isn't, you know, in the, you know, in the, in the performance center, you know, got Finley as well. I just think that's kind of a bit telling of, you know, how much faith and trust they have in their own system. But again, that's uh, you know, another topic for another day. Yeah, that's been talked about, uh, about WWE's developmental system, that it's not a quality developmental system because basically you're in a performance center, you work the coconut loop and that's it. I mean, that goes back years though when you think about it because like you know, Ricky Steamboat didn't send his son initially to WWE. He wanted him to travel around. Um, and, you know, uh, Robbie Brookside didn't send Zaya to WWE to get trained or anything. And that's like been like a case over the last like few years. You've noticed that, that, it is kind of telling that WWE guys or people connected in some way, at least to WWE, are more willing to like tell their kids to travel the world and get trained elsewhere and get a bunch of experience because you're going to be much better off. I mean, just look at Juice Robinson for the fact that he was in technically NXT, quote-unquote, for how long, and he was the drizzling fucking shits of CJ Parker. And uh, granted, his first initial stuff with New Japan wasn't great either. He was a square peg in a round hole. But you look at where Juice Robinson's come now, and it's amazing just the work he's done in New Japan, how much better he got. He learned to cut a promo. And, I mean, people like to make fun of the dads. Like, we're going to talk about that in the next tag match. But, you know, you you learn from working with Kojima and Tenzan and Nagata and Nakanishi and all those guys night in and night out. Well, yeah, I mean, the whole point, the whole thing I've you know, been banging on about the whole Young Lion system, sure, you eat a load of losses, but in the grand scheme of things, who cares? You know, you, there's, you get clear results, whether you have your, you know, your Tomiyuki Okas, your you know, Short Ruminos, who start off working each other, then they step up, you know, if you're Nagata, Nakanishis, maybe a few higher guys. Okay, they're still eating losses. But for getting varied experience rather than you know, the Largo loop where it's the same guys, you know, the same kind of experience. And yeah, sure, NXT signed a bunch of guys off the Indies for experience. But at the same time, you know, if it's if you're not getting the top, the bottom kind of matches, not in the regular, but you know, at all, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to learn if you're playing with the same kind of players. Exactly. So that's a, yeah, like you said, that's kind of a deeper discussion for another time. We can maybe do that. But, uh, so like I said, speaking of the dads, we had a rematch from the World Tag League final show. Kojima and Tenzon defeated Nagata and Nakanishi 555 via pin. Uh, your thoughts? It was what it was. I mean, we saw this in World Tag League final days. Um, you know, both these teams absolutely legendary back in the day. Problem is, both of them now, 
they're carrying a bit of dead weight. You know, Nakanishi used to have that one you know, decent outing a year. Now, you know, I hate, you know, I hate to be the kind of guy who says, you know, X should retire. I mean, Christ, I had that this weekend. But I honestly do think, you know, Nakanishi and Tenzan, particularly from these two teams, uh, you know, they've been counting their days for a while. And, you know, I think we're you know, a lot closer to the end of their career than we, than we are the start. I mean, We've seen them. You no, know, Nakanishi's been off how many tours this year, and even with all that time off, he's still. I mean, he still pulls out. You no, know, like you know, the bit Viraki does. He does what he does, but yeah, he. I think fact that you know, Nakanishi is you not know, saved these roles, and you not know, I'd pretty much guarantee you're probably not going to see him on tours now until maybe the summer at the earliest. Um, yeah, I think of these. It's, this may be the last time we see this match. Probably for probably for a long time, if not ever, you know, neither of these teams have been you not know, regulars on the not on tours for a while, so I think this may have been a final hurrah for the Tokyo Dome for this particular matchup. Yeah, I, I thought it was perfectly solid. It was inoffensive. I love the dads, but yeah, Nakanishi. He's I, I've talked about him for years. He he's fucking he's a planet. I mean, people orbit around him during the match. He's so slow. And it's just not, I'm not trying to insult a guy, but he's, he's older. He's a gigantic gentleman and he's just, you can tell his knees are shot. He moves so slow. Nagata can still go when he has to. Kojima can still go. And as you also mentioned, Tenzon is just, he's so rough. He does a couple signature moves. He has that creepy ass looking ankle and it's just like, I don't know how the dude walks half the time. So yeah, um. I, I guess like Nakanishi especially looks like he's going to be the one he might just be done because he looked like he was taking a bow there after the match. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I mean, Nagata just signed a new contract. You know, the three guys was not being much said. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if out of these four, you know, none of them would the dome again outside of maybe if they bring back the Rambo or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I would de- like, like I said, Kojima and Nagata can still still go. You can do a lot with them working with the young lions. Uh, they'd be great guys to work some of the U.S. shows too because they have some name value. And like I said, they can still go a bit. But yeah, it's a uh, it, it, it's rough looking at it sometimes because you try not to be overly harsh because these guys are legit legends. But it's also there's a point to where you gotta walk away. And we're going to talk about that actually next. The Jushin Liger retirement tour sadly coming to a close here at Wrestle Kingdom. We had Liger, Fujinami, Tiger Mask, and Great Sasuke versus Otani, Takiyawa, Sano, and Taguchi in the big eight-man tag, which was Jushin Liger hanging out with all of his old rivals and pals. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we just talked about it, but the big thing for me, I mean, I'm, I'd say I'm one of those you know, the dreaded newcomer New, New Japan fans. You know, until New Japan World existed, my exposure was very limited. Uh, but the fact that you had all these guys, they could still go. Like, you no, know, we just talked about Kojima and Nakanishi, who were, you know, I would say stumbling through, but, you know, compare those two guys with, you know, half of this match, you know, it was like chalk and cheese. You had guys who, you know, could go, okay, they're just playing the greatest hits, but. Really, what more did you want in this match? Um, well, I guess someone else did want this match. No bloody overdubs, but uh, no, I guess we couldn't have everything this weekend. 
Yeah, that that was the big downfall that everybody hated about this match was the overdub music. And uh yeah, that's it. that's the bitch in New Japan world sometimes. But yeah, I mean this was this was fun. It was it was good, it was fun, it was like I said, it's it's Liger and all of his fucking buddies. And that's like the kind of fitting match you want to give a guy going out, you know? And it was exactly what it needed to be. Um, you know, the crowd likes seeing all these guys coming back. You had you had like the old ring announcer there and everything. You had one of the older referees back and it was just it was a big retirement party in the best way. And yep. like you said, a lot of these guys had had enough go under game. They didn't look horrible physically. And it was fun. I mean, they played the hits. It had some emotion to it. And, you know, Liger, just as we've been talking about this whole damn retirement tour, going out like a fucking G, such a legend, does the fucking job to 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 Taguchi. And just, he has no problem with it. I mean, you can have people going through, I mean, no, I'll check, no, this admin on air stuff, I'll check. Uh, I think was, in terms of his retirement tour, Liger hasn't really had that much in the way of wins. I know a lot of people were not talking about, oh, who's he going to put over big time on the way out? Well, if you look at his last few matches, his last string of matches, they've all been undercard tags. I mean, looking now on his cage match, uh, his last win of any kind was in Australia about two, three weeks back. If you're going back for like singles matches, you know, he's, you know, those wins for not much like the last, you know, singles match, he, well, last few single matches, uh, Takamichi Noku in, you know, whatever promotion he created after he got kicked out of K-Dojo, uh, obviously Suzuki, uh, King of Pro Wrestling, bunch of draws over in CMLL. The last guy to, apart from Suzuki, to beat uh, Liger one-on-one, you're looking at Scotty Davis. And now, it's a bit weird that you've got a guy, I think Scotty's 19 now, a big star up and coming in Ireland, but out the entire retirement tour, that's the name you're looking for, for the you know, guy he's really put over in, in the string of matches, which, to me, I, I that doesn't sit well with me. <clears throat> you know, you've got a guy who, you know, you know, 30 plus years in the business, you know, world legend, etc., etc. And it's like, well, the fact that New Japan didn't pick a guy to go right you beat no you lose to him that's the definitive no match that's make, gonna push more blind even no, no set seeds to make him a, a star in the future the fact that they didn't do that to me is a bit um but it's a missed opportunity i mean you know again looking at cage match you no know, liger's singles matches we had 14 last year um less than that in 2018 so no, he has been winding down with singles matches for the last little while, obviously, but yeah, to me, the fact that, you know, Liger's last losses, pretty much, you know, that could have been used to make a new single star or, you know, put something behind someone, all we've had is a bunch of, you know, opening match tags or, you know, undercard tags, which, great, it's it's there for giving everyone the, you know, the feel-good, you know, the farewell to Jushin Fund Liger stuff, but in terms of maybe passing with torch of that. That didn't seem to come to pass. I don't know if your take on that is, Larry. Yeah, that was a little weird, because I, I, I went through the cage match the other day, and the Scotty Davis thing popped out, and I was like, and like, I don't know a lot about him, and like, th- it's like the first reaction is, and like, you hate to do that, because I hate when readers do it, but my first reaction was like, fucking who? What? Really? 
And then I like just went through it and I was like, that is kind of shocking. I mean, you would think that like maybe he would, you know, on one of these fucking Road 2 shows or whatever, maybe he'd work a random singles and you know, put Despy over or put Robbie Eagles over or somebody that they can give a title shot to. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you want to go a bit further back, you know, you know uh, David Finley, but you know, that's one of those line break shows I haven't seen. I guess you haven't seen uh, from, you know, 2018 uh, which be you no know, this time uh, end of 2018 be, he lost David Finley um, for that you're talking about Kenny King well that means absolutely nothing uh, El Fantasmo Rev Pro's Jacob in September 2018 well okay could argue that but he hadn't even announced his retirement by then before then you're looking at Cody Rhodes Will Ospreay and a guy who's pretty much excommunicated himself from all of wrestling and Josh Borden so it's like, you know, when you've got that kind of, you know, missed opportunity, I'm just hoping it's not something where, you know, he's going to come back and do maybe the, the tradition of a pro wrestling master circuit over in Japan and maybe pop some of the old ramble here or there. But yeah, I don't know, just, you know, the entire farewell to that he's had, you know, this match and obviously the one, you know, had on on day two. No, I can't find any quitsmen, but the, just the entire way that farewell stretch was done, it does feel like a massive open goal that they didn't even think about uh, taking a shotting. Yeah, it came off really weird. Like, I think it was, there's two, for me, there was like two missed opportunities. I would have liked to seen him, like I said, put over, again, like, it, it could be anybody, I guess, but like, somebody that you could push for a title shot, like a Robbie Eagles or a Desperado, you know what I mean? And the other thing I really wish that they could have worked out or whatever, because I know that MLW was open to it. I really wish that he could have had a singles match with Brian Pillman Jr. Yeah. Well, funnily enough, um, so going back to Ref Pro, so this would be, uh, they did TV tapings in the September of last of 2018. Um, their original plan was to book Brian Pillman Jr., but MLW were doing the regular TV tapings, the dates clashed. So I think instead we've got uh, Ligo against Chris Brooks, which, you know, when you look how Chris Brooks' career is now you know, stretched into DDT of all places, it's a bit of a weird twist. But yeah, it is a bit of a missed opportunity, but the nearest thing we got to that was, I believe it's a backstage photo at uh, Pro Wrestling Experience in the Carolinas, which, you know, better than nothing, but it just feels, again, you know, there could have been so much more from that. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't want to nitpick it to death because, I mean, I think he did. I mean, I think his retirement tour was great in the fact that he went out on his own terms and he was pretty much like, fuck it, I don't care if I'm losing. Because, I mean, he had so much cachet, man. He could have easily been like, listen, guys, I'm, I'm fucking going over somebody tonight. I'm pinning Yoshihashi's dumbass, okay? You know, he could have been doing that all the time. But I, I just, I find it refreshing that a legend was just like, nah, I'm good. So And again, again you know, we know this is wrestling, where times rarely stick. Um, you know, I'm not holding out hope that he's going to come back, you know, five, ten years down the line for one-offs. But if this is it, then, you know, great, he's gone on his own terms. And it's not been, I hate to make a comparison, you know, but, you know, you've had guys who've gone out, you know, you know forced to go out. So the fact that he's able to walk away on his own steam and he's not gone out is you not know, God forbid the way Masala did, you know, that's you know, all the best you can say for someone who's had just as long a career as he has in wrestling. 
Exactly. Uh, so we move on to the main card. Liger's second to last match is over. We had a pair of eight-man tags here. First off, uh, Suzuki Gun defeated Lij eight fifty-five with uh, 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 Zach submitting Bushi to get some revenge for that little singles win. Uh, I thought it was a good little match. Uh, it, it was nothing special. I mean, these eight-man tags were frustrating. I think for a lot of us because. I, I think a lot of us wanted to see Suzuki, Shingo, and especially Ishii, and something more important than matches setting up the trios gauntlet the next night. Yeah, I mean, you know, we had obviously, like I said, the uh, impromptu singles match on the Road Tokyo Dome show. Um, you know, we'd been teasing Shingo and Suzuki, Evil and Ishii. To me, this match and the one after it had no place on the show. You know, you had two Tokyo Dome matches. Okay, you could argue, well, no, no, this one went, what, said eight, nine minutes, didn't eight, have the time. So, just in line. Not going to have the time to have a full, say, Shingo and, you know, V Suzuki or what have you. That's fine. But, you know, the fact that we had a eight-man tag that you get on any road to whatever show. Um, I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe you could have, you know, taken you know, up got rid of one of these two matches but yeah it, it's it was necessary evil but it was there you know i you know the fact that saber one had me massively worried about today um but yeah it it was what it was you know it it did anything you see in any undercard on any Corcoran or any you know village show <laughs> not much to say you know it, it was in and out it was inoffensive but yeah, you could you could live without watching it if you're Hamster Cherry Pick. Yeah, and I I mean I get why they did them because they were it was added build for this one for Sonata and Zach the next night and for the trios gauntlet and that was the same for the next one because it was Goto building Goto and Kenta and the trios gauntlet. But again, like you said, they just could have put them on those Road to Tokyo Dome shows and gave us a singles match here. And Ishii and an evil or, you know, a Suzuki and Shingo, whatever you wanted to do. I, I think it would have been better, but I mean, they weren't horrible. They weren't a total waste, but I didn't need them on this show at all. Yeah, I mean, 10 minutes, you know, 15 offenses probably. And I think the telling thing a few people, you know, I suddenly noticed was in this particular match, it was Sabre's music that led out the Suzuki gun team. And, you know, you have all the rumours of, you know, is Minoru Suzuki leaving? You know, if it wasn't for the Liger feud last year, he'd have gone. Um, you know, a lot of people were looking into that as, you know, are they shuffling off the back door? But, you know, frankly, that doesn't seem to be the case. But, uh, yeah, to me, match didn't need to be on the cards. Um, at least we got a bit of a chuckle at the end uh, when uh, Sonata broke the submission at the end, you know, Pretty much telling off Sonata for you know, doing his crappy version of that thing while Fujinami's in the building, but um, yeah, it, it is what it is. Zach is not only a great professional wrestler, but he's also next level banter. He really is. Well, I mean, the thing as well is like he's in a country that he's you know, he's obviously had a lot of experience there with pro wrestling all before, but you'd also have to expect that a lot of what he says, prop, no, I'm not being assumptive here, but a lot of what he says probably doesn't get translated easy i'd guess you know, like lot of banter you know if you know if you're chosen the front row and it's in your native tongue you'd pick it up but you've got 
know, a lot of references or stuff like that that make other people's heads well. I guess it's an extra Easter egg, I guess, for you know, you know people watching at home or you know, those get stuff translated. Uh, so the next eight-man tag was Chaos defeating Bullet Club with uh, Goto picking up the win, uh, pinning good old Yujiro. Again, uh, another match, like you said, didn't really need to be on the card. It was fine. Uh, I, I mean, at least Fale wasn't a complete lazy sack of shit in this match. No, but I think we had a bit of a chat about this yesterday, and did Tom Hiroshi even tag in on this one? Because... No, it was another short match, but I do not recall him ever no, tagging in this match. He never so. officially tagged in, but he did go in, he beat some ass, and he suplexed Fale. So he, he, he got had the big something, pop. But, <laughs> so, well, yeah, he, he you know, might take bumps if your whole thing is mustering up that waste of space. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think I called this aggressively okay. It was another match with, I don't get anybody wanted on the card. It was fair to, you know, pad it out, but, yeah... It is what it is, you know. It was only two of these, thankfully, and yeah, it was straight into a big old run of title matches. That's right. So we move into the uh, IWGP Tag Team Title Match: Juice Robinson and David Finley defeating the Gorillas of Destiny fourteen fifty via pin. Uh, I was actually slightly shocked. I thought this would uh, finally be the year that the champions retained and that the Gorillas of Destiny actually won at Wrestle Kingdom. Because I thought that they were setting Juice up for the U.S. title win the next night. I was horribly wrong on both counts. Uh, and I liked the match. Uh, I thought it was good. I thought they kept the bullshit to a minimum. It was a fine story. The babyfaces overcame. And again, pleasantly surprised with the result. And a big win for Finley because I joked in my preview, his biggest accomplishment prior to winning the tag titles was when he had that little uh, Never Trios title run after Captain Cannabis, Matt Seidel, got busted coming to Japan. I thought you were going to talk about the Block C trophy from a few years back. Oh, the Block um, C trophy. I'm sorry. I did forget about that. Yeah, I think this one I wasn't quite as high on. Um, now, obviously, you know, a lot of people have noticed the Winners of World Tag League have gone on to win the tag titles. I mean, you know, Christ, you've got to award you know, those poor sods like us who watch every, all of that. But... Um, yeah, I don't know, just to me, it just felt a little bit off. I mean, it didn't outstay its welcome, but it was just something about the whole match just didn't connect with me. Um, you know, I think a few years back when we had the Gorillas and the Killer Elite squad, that, that massive brawl they had, and I was in the minority then, so, you know, this is probably a me thing, but a lot of the Gorillas matches on a big stage just don't seem to sit with me. And, yeah. I mean, he, great, you know, uh, Juice and Finley won the tag titles. It kind of keeps Juice away from, you know, yo-yoing with the US title as obviously we see tomorrow. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'd say this is probably the kind of thing we'd kind of want to see Hanare do, you know, maybe a so down the line. Problem is you don't really want to connect, you know, repeat the trick with, you know, two lots of not quite young line uh, guys, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, I mean, the fact that you had Finn Juice, they pretty much ran through the entire tag league without ever being a of you know like LIJ for the longest part of that tour. It felt like you not know, they're gonna run the whole run the whole field and it's you not know, gonna be dead easy for them. For this it felt like they worked for it, you no. Know. But yeah, my interest now is is this going to be another false storm with the tag division or is it just going to be Gorillas and Finjuice, Gorillas and Finjuice because you no know, no well results late in the weekend maybe removing another team uh, from that perennial equation. 
I don't know your feeling on this, but I've been pushing for at least three years that they should just scrap these two fucking divisions and do one open weight tag division. Because they, w- they don't have two full tag divisions. Well, there was that rumor a few years back, and this is back when we had the Briscoes and the Young Bucks as the two champions. And I think they were teasing that unification match and they never unified the belts. But it's like, you look for two tag divisions, like obviously the heavyweight tag, you've got the Gorillas, LIJ, you know, would have been the Killer Elite squad, but David Boy Smith Jr. is gone. Now you add Finn Juice. Who else is really realistically in the mix? You know, Ishii and Yoshihashi, well, that blows hot and cold. Um, you know, Taichi and Zack Sabre Jr., again, those more makeshift teams. And like, to me, it just feels like you've got two tag divisions which you're batting the belts across the same teams. And obviously, we'll talk about junior tags uh, on no, today's show. But yeah, it just, like I say, it feels like it's a roster that isn't fully fleshed out. And it's almost like uh, WWF in the mid-90s where you had a lot of tag teams which were, eh, give me two singles guys we're not doing anything with. Yeah, I um, I really felt this way after the one, uh, the Road 2 show when it was um, Osprey and Ishii in the tag against, uh, I think it was Evil and Hiromu. And I fucking loved that match. I thought it was great. And I'm just like, this is great evidence to do an open weight tag division because you could... Yeah. You can mix so many things up because you have so many stables of guys. Um, if Will's moving to heavyweight, you could still do the Birds of Prey on occasion. And if Will's too busy actually being a big single star, you can do uh, fucking throw Yoshihashi in the fucking bin, tag Robbie Eagles with Ishii. I mean, you could do a lot of stuff, and I think you do a lot of fun tag matches because, like, Bushi and Hiromu aren't, don't need to be a junior tag team. Put Bushi and Evil together or something, or Bushi and Sonata, and mix it, the LIJ stuff up a little bit. I just I think you would actually be able to create create a much easier open weight division with an actual roster of teams than trying to field two divisions that are generally shit and not deep at all. I mean, you had that run early in the year where, you know, the Gorillas and the Punky 3K were up against each other. You know, okay, they snuck out, I believe they snuck out at uh, undercard tag wins. So it's not entirely out of the realm of impossibility, but at the same time, you know, I honestly think that New Japan, they really get off on, especially on Wrestle Kingdom shows, everything has to be for something. Like, you know, we had, you know, especially, you know, if it's not a titles match, it's a special singles match or what have you. And to me, you know, that's fine in terms of, you know, all your match graphics. It's not just, you know, uh, Johnny Boots and Tights against, you know, Johnny Kick Pads. But at the same time, when you have too many belts, like the, you know, these tag titles, was it February they won and you had a few defences, but both belts have largely been MIA this year. Normally, Christ even Gorillas have been MIA for quite a few tours this year, so you know, to me, it was an argument for getting rid of the belts, which is a lot stronger than keeping them, but unfortunately, that's not the way New Japan works. And I always go back to this, you would think with Gato and Jado booking, you would think that they could book tag team divisions. And they don't. It's just, it always dumbfounds me that you have tag team specialists as your bookers and they can't book tag divisions to save their life. I think, that, again, the problem is, you know, we've had this long stretch with you know, guys leaving. That's not an excuse, but at the same time, you're, you do have to wonder just how much of this is them not knowing or having to constantly just be single scene. Now, 
I know in terms of tag teams, you know, we've had that another big hoovering up of talent with WWE and AEW. There's not that many big tag teams out there unless you're going to start going and bringing in you know, the foreign tag teams. And around that many of those left, uh, what can you do? I mean, I believe for the World Tag League wrapped up you know, last year, uh, Aussie Open, you know, they've you know, done gangbusters over here. But unfortunately, Mark Davis you know, injured his knee. He's out for, I believe, best part of the year. You know, so that's uh, you know, one change they weren't really planning on having to accommodate for. But yeah, it just, like I say, it just feels like there's an absolute dearth of tag teams in New Japan. I think that kind of shows when you look at the teams who've been batting with the titles back and forth. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. I, I try not to beat the dead horse about it, but it, it, it unfortunately is what it is, and it's probably going to stay that way. So uh, next up, Texas Deathmatch, U.S. title. John Moxley defeated the champion Lance Archer 15-22 uh, after Moxley put him through a table on the floor. Uh, your thoughts? Yeah. So, yeah, this was one... I think the general fee beforehand was this was going to be kind of like the was the junior four way we had a year or two back where it went all over Tokyo Dome and was an absolute pain to follow unless you were on watching on VOD. Um I kind of enjoyed this one. Like no, it was a plunder match, but it wasn't like a you know, I'll hit you for chair, I'll hit you for bin lid. Uh I did kinda of like uh, Lance Archer coming out like he was getting ready to perform Stomp, but yeah, uh, the one thing I've noticed for, and I've noticed for quite a few of these plunderific matches lately, you start to get a lot of, well, not a lot, but a fair degree of inventiveness. It's not just the, you know, the bog standard death match, you know, hitting each other head, the same thing. Uh, Gabriel Cage, who we, we shouted out earlier on, uh, at one point in the match, uh, Archer actually chokeslammed onto Moxley on the outside, which it's been a long while since I've seen someone actually, you know, thrown around like that. Um, yeah, I think this one they kept, you know, pretty much around ringside, which was great in terms of not having you no know, fans, you no know, scattering, what have you. Uh, but yeah, losing the belt after what one, two defenses, I think I'd just kind of tell you if this was just kind of circling back to where we would have been, you know, had you no know, Typhoon not hit for uh, King of Pro Wrestling back in October. Yeah, uh, I really enjoyed this one, too. I thought uh, they made everything look really brutal. I thought they played the stipulation well. I also agree with uh, what you're saying. Like, they didn't go everywhere, which I did kind of enjoy because sometimes those matches just become such of a pain in the ass to actually focus on and see what they're doing. And you sometimes also lose the crowd, too, because if there's not good video screens and stuff like that, they can't follow what's going on. The other thing I loved is while they, it did have like the the knockout ten count stipulation gimmick to it, they didn't do like nine hundred like th- false counts. That is the worst thing in like the last man standing style match. Is like you, you hit a body slam and you stand up and the referees in there counting. It's like fuck off, dude. Yeah, I mean it's they kept it simple. Everything meant something. Um, the only thing I. F- the kind of exposing maybe worth calling out the camera work on these shows. Not quite up to New Japan's usual par. I mean, there's quite a few cases where you know the camera the production was cutting to the back of the referee, for instance, through the ropes. Um, I know there's one thing we you know got a lot of not coming a lot of people you know, poking fun at it. Uh those need some moxley towards the end of the match. Um I I know <coughs> I 
He was throwing some dark order knee strikes, man. Yeah, I mean, um, hang on one second. No problem, man. Uh, I'll let you, yeah, compose yourself coughing over there. But yeah, it's uh, the, the that you bring up a really good point because New Japan is usually really, really good with their production stuff. They almost never miss big spots. But there was a lot of weird instances on these two dumb shows where that happened. And it was jarring at times because you're not really used to it. It would almost be like, you know, I brag on WWE fair a bit for a lot of the things they do wrong. But like WWE video packages are, despite what you may think of some of the angles, are always really great. It would be like them throwing out like a total dog shit video package. You'd be shocked. To where, like, you know, New Japan is usually so on point with these camera shots. And I noticed that, like, in some of my, uh, the coverage threads, a lot of people were bringing that up. That they were like, what happened? Did they switch, like, camera guys or, like, a new network or whatever? They were like, a lot of people were, like, really confused. Like, they got a new director or whatever. So, uh, yeah, it was not something to just, like, you or I noticed. I noticed a lot of that. I saw it on Twitter, too. So, uh, definitely an off weekend. Yeah, I mean, uh, going back with the stuff with the knees, um, yeah, it just felt a bit weird how, you know, maybe it's new and experienced director, but usually that kind of stuff you'd expect, oh, this first one was massive amount of daylight, you know, sort of camera angles, but uh, yeah, they kept throwing, they kept throwing, and it just looked absolutely rotten. But I mean, again, if we'd, you know, picking apart, you know, a couple of knees that didn't quite connect as the big full part of a match thing. No, can't have been too bad, eh? Yeah, I agree. So, I, I really enjoyed this. Uh, Lance Archer had a really good 2019 overall. Uh, very unexpected, I think, especially for a guy about to turn 43 who had a major back surgery and some thought he was never coming back from that. So that was a really cool story. I thought, uh, going into 2020. So, uh, and I hope he gets featured a, a good bit in 2020, especially like on all these U S shows are going to run. I mean, yeah, the, uh, talk things just for the show was, uh, I forget which outlet it was. So probably for not questioning you, but there was an interview I heard or at least of a headline on and we're going on about how, you no know, Lance is only on a two to two contract, which, that was, that, was, that was my website, I think. Oh, apologies, Ben. <laughs> I, I, saw, I saw the tweet, but you know, people don't credit these days. So, yeah. Also, on 411, um, uh, question uh, Archer with being on a 2 2 contract. To me, that's kind of terrifying if you're a New Japan fan. Because, you know, obviously, you've got you know, WWE and AEW who perennially looking to snap up talent. Um, obviously, Archer had that big, you no, know, the massive run in WWE, ECW, what? 10, 12 years ago. Um, and I've, I would also, I'd almost argue that in AEW, there maybe isn't a place for him. At least, you no, know, not one bit you know, would have any kind of longevity. You know, I could see maybe being used as a, you know, goon for MJF or what have you in that, you know, the ongoing, what have you of Cody Rhodes. But yeah, I, I, I would almost argue that being the, you know, the big intimidating, scary fucking Suzuki gun, in New Japan, who you know, gets a few uh, spotlight matches, maybe the best for him, especially, you know, he you know, really stands out from a pack in New Japan, whereas in AEW, whichever brand you put him on, I wouldn't uh, suspect that'd be the case. 
Yeah, I was shocked to learn that myself. I, I don't understand how you don't have him locked up to some kind of contract. Um, especially after he proved that he could go this year. I mean, he had some really great matches this year. He had some matches with Osprey and stuff that I loved. And it just seems ludicrous because he's everything they want Fallet to be. He's a big fucker. He scares people, but he can actually deliver. You know, look in the last 10 years, Fale's delivered a handful of times, and those were always against Okada, Tanahashi, Nakamura types, who could drag him to something watchable. And those were not even great. They were, like, good and sometimes very good, if that. He's, like, everything they should really want in a monster guy. And again, you know, you could argue with uh, Fale, you know, maybe he's gotten too big, you know, no, no. Whether it's the case he's just gone too big, or whether it's a case of, you know, he's maybe taking the whole monster thing a bit too seriously. But um, yeah, I think with Flacha, you know, I don't think the tank's anywhere near empty. I just question on that that big question mark over Suzuki gun. Is that really going? Is that going to be having a big effect of him the rest for you? No, for the foreseeable future. You know, if Suzuki's sticking around, or if he isn't, what happens with that uh, Suzuki gun faction? Um, so yeah, I think what what happens with Lance Archer in New Japan 2020 is going to be very interesting to see because a lot of that could be dictated by other people, you know, whose own futures up in the air. Yeah, um, we're, hopefully we'll find out some of that stuff soon. It is that contract season, you know, a lot of, a lot of people moving on, but we're going to start to get into some of the real business part of the card here, the uh, the big stuff, and we got. Hiromu Takahashi making his Wrestle Kingdom return. He worked the Road 2 shows. He was looking really good on those. Took a bunch of losses. He defeats Will Ospreay to win the championship just under 25 minutes. And I, I think everybody had really high hopes because Will had, I think it's safe to say, an amazing 2019 and we all knew that if Hiromu was even 75-80% of what he was, that these two have such great chemistry that we could be in for a great match. And I think that I think that they crushed expectations here. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the big favorites a lot of people had with Hiromu, obviously he had the comeback. And you know, a few people said, well, people who come back from injury very rarely win their first match in, so... Yeah, that, that's understandable. Um, I think the big question mark was just would Hiromu pair back at all on his usual style? And thankfully that wasn't the case. Um, I mean, I think from the off, you know, he was just an absolute nut job. I mean, that peacock jacket, for one thing, just seemed to be... <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, there's a guy who wrestles over here, um, Rob Lies, whose ring jacket is, give me every colour, put it on one jacket, I'll wear it. Uh, this was that, but on acids and on steroids. Um, I think with Hiromu, uh I think he was going very early on to show, you no, know, he wasn't missing a step. You know, he wasn't. No, he wasn't doing the stuff a Bush would do later, like landing his head. But he was trying to stick to his usual style, of the usual pace. Um, yeah, this one I thought, you know, started straight, not really hot, didn't let down. Um, the Big folks, I think you're going to have this for a little, for a little while anyway. 
was everyone working who almost neck, which I could have done without that or as much of it. Um, I think, you know, that's going to be the easy, the easy target, especially, you know, when home is going up against Dick Heels. You know, you can get a lot of people going for the neck, kind of like everyone's been doing with uh, Homer, but, you know, someone who's a lot more likable with the crowd these days. Um, there's one sequence in the match which blew everyone's mind. I'm guessing you can guess which I'm talking about. The Sasuke special with all the flips in between, then ending up. It was, no, I've, no, Will Ospreay hasn't been in the UK much in 2019. Uh, he's supposed to come back over, but seeing him live is one thing, but Christ on tape when he's you know, produced and caught right. This man's an absolute monster, and no, don't be you know, skewing people's you know, uh, end-of-year ballots, but you know, if he's not high up on your rest-of-the-year ballot, then I want to know what wrestling you're watching, because it's clearly better than this. Yeah, I... Uh... <sighs> I, I understand personal preference, but I still don't get the people that are trying to tell me that... Like, I read a comment because there was a, the report that he uh, will apparently suffer some kind of ankle injury in the match. And so I, I guess whoever posted it on our site, um, they posted that clip of the spot we're talking about where he went for the Sasuke special. Then they basically, like, Hiromu caught him, was going to do a German, Will backflipped out, Hiromu bellied him into the ring, and then Will hit the Sasuke special, finally. And it's an amazing spot, and somebody goes, well, I see Will's just doing fucking gymnastics still, nothing will ever change. That was a 10-second part of that match. So, I'm sorry, you didn't watch the match, if that's all you're saying, because this was fucking magnificent. These two are great together. Will was really good working that aggressive. Uh, he was basically working heel. He was being a dick. You know, he was, you know, I'm not your friend anymore. Uh, it was very similar to the stuff he did with Amazing Red in the in the J-Cup. Um, Will has not only grown as a performer, like physically, but like mentally as well. But he, he knows when to take the right role to maximize a match layout. And he knew his role here was that everybody was going to love Hiromu. The natural play was to work the neck. They did that. And the story was Hiromu surviving, showing his resilience and coming back. It all made sense. They built to an amazing home stretch. And if all you're going to do is bitch about one 10 second fucking segment and claim that all we did was gymnastics for 25 minutes, you didn't watch the whole match. Cause I'm sorry you didn't. I had high expectations for this one, man. I'm telling you. They killed it here. I thought it was a great emotional ride with Hiromu finally winning, busting out a new finisher, which apparently is called Time Bomb Number Two. And um, I just thought it was it was amazing. I went to full five on it. I just uh, I loved it every minute of it. Yeah, absolute same here. I mean, again, you can anyone can criticize short clips of anything. I mean, wrestling at its whole is gymnastics. You know, it's a you know, whether it's stuff that's improvised on the fly or whether it's you not know, the way DDP used to you know, set out move for move for move, it's a contrived series of moves which is you not know, simulating combat, pretty much. And if you want to put that as, you know, you know everyone's favourite Suzuki elbows or you know, this 10-second clip of uh, Osprey flying around or you know, hitting the same move for a lot of stuff in between, everyone, it's, it's personal preference, but I do think Osprey... Rightly for wrong does get fair bit of stick, but a lot of that is people looking at the, to use the term, the actor and the person behind it. I mean, maybe it's me. I you know, 
unless you talk about not stuff where not not being renamed to uh, Benoit, but unless it's stuff where it's absolutely not not ruined the guy's reputation. Now I try and keep the, the person performer completely separate because when I'm paying my money to watch him live or subscribe on VOD, etc., I'm paying to see Will Ospreay for performer, not Will Ospreay for not the man behind it, for one better word. Yeah, I get that. And I know a lot of people don't like Will because I guess he's like a dick on Twitter or stupid on Twitter. I don't know. I don't follow him. but And that's fine. I mean, you can hate the fucking guy all you want. But, I mean, I think to diminish what he did in 2019, though, is just you're doing that just to, spiteful, to be spiteful. You know, it's, yeah, it's crazy. I don't know. Uh, and, again, I understand not everybody likes the same people. And that's a word to get into some of that next because this next match was – very decisive throughout the internet. <laughs> I saw ratings as low as one star. I saw people claiming it was a five star plus match. Jay White and Tetsuya Naito. So I'm sitting somewhere in the middle on this one. Um, I'm not the world's biggest Jay White fan. Uh, when he was over here, I would say he was on excursion, but he had a good few matches over here in the UK. He was fine. Um, the Bullet Club leader, Jay White, does nothing for me. Um, I think the comparison I made in one of my reviews was that he's turning into New Japan's Jeff Jarrett. In oh, that that's, that's a good one. I he's watched fine. and reviewed a lot of TNA. Yeah, he's fine when you've got him in, in a spot like you know, the undercard tags or what have you, where he's building up to stuff. He's you know, a bit of a shit-ass. He's needling everyone. He's doing all, you know, he's pushing everyone's buttons. That's great. The problem that I'm finding with him is a lot of these big-time, longer matches, there's just something missing still, and I don't know whether it's because the excursion he had didn't teach him a bit, or whether because he came straight back into a top spot. Um, now, I think this one, check on our friend's cage match, this one went... 33-45. Oh, fucking hell, yeah. It felt every single one of those. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean... And if you I mean if you write down like the storyline, ignore who did. If you write down the story of the match, Jay White worked my knees, kept working my knees, then stopped. Then you had the you know, the Gato bullshit. That's fair enough, but I think the fact that when we all knew, hey, Okada and Ibushi is in the main event, they're going along. We didn't need thirteen plus minutes of Jay White, and I could see that would be the bit that turns people off, especially when no. Using the Jeff Jarrett analogy, you knew you were going to get all the Gator stuff. You knew you were going to get the ref bumps. And it's like, I can handle that. Maybe not my new Japan, but I can handle that in a match if it's going 10, 15 minutes and you have that kind of bullshit. Great. But when you've, you know, when I've sat here for half an hour, you no, know, okay, in the UK it's a much more palatable time, but Christ for guys that are on the West Coast, you know, you're talking to wee small hours in the morning. If you've sat there for half an hour and then you get that kind of no that kind of uh, finishing stretch, um, I can understand why a lot of people are turning on them. Uh, but I think you no know, no cover this on the Sunday show with Jay White. It does feel like a lot of the stuff is playing out, and I mean, going to spoil results. Bullet Club won one match for whole weekend, which obviously wasn't missed one for him. Uh, but to me, it just feels like maybe this particular form of Bullet Club with him on top. I wouldn't be surprised if that's no, no dying out because, you know, 
I know New Japan are big on the you know, prevailing factions and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, this version of Jay White, there needs to be a whole lot of evolution away from this for me. But the in ring is fine. It's everything else that drags around, drags it down. Yeah, um, I'm also very much in the middle on this one. I went like three and a half on it. Um, I thought obviously Naito winning was the right call. The positives of this match were I thought it was a smart change of pace stylistically following Will and Hiromu. Because you had to have something different coming down from that. They did do good things in this match. I liked a lot of the things they were telling and building to storyline-wise. But it really started to drag. It really overstayed his welcome. I never bought Jay White was winning. I didn't need the Low Blow Festival. And it just... It felt just... It never hooked me in on like a level of caring about it. Like technically, I thought it was very good in execution, but it needed editing. It just it didn't need to be thirty four minutes. I mean, going about you know, how divisive this was, um, having a quick look on the grapple app, and it's just crossed six hundred ratings. Average of four stars, near enough. Which, and again, it's not shown the whole lot, but you're getting a lot of people going for above four. So this to me, uh, you know, saying God over here, it was a Marmite match. You know, some people absolutely loved it, a lot of people hated it. I know there's a you know, few people I know whose opinions I trust absolutely love Jay White. Just isn't doing it for me. And I think when you've got a couch like that who's that divisive in terms of his output, that's not necessarily a good thing. I mean, you know, we had that, you know, John Cena, we've had that with uh, Roman Reigns. You know, as a character, they're doing all the bits of it, you know, tick the boxes. But if they're not connect, if their character's not connecting in that way for crowd, ultimately it doesn't it doesn't end well. Yeah. So uh, they announced the attendance at forty thousand and eight, and that led to our main event to close up night one. Okada defeating Ibushi, as we all knew it was going to be long thirty nine fifteen via pin. Uh, I, I think we were pretty much the same opinion on this, but your thoughts on this one? Everything that uh, Jay White and Naito wasn't, this was. Um, but again, I can also see why some people maybe, you know, a bit love to go with 4-5. Um, with Okada, you know what you're getting. You know, most of his match, singles matches now, slow start, build up, a lightning finishing round, and that tends to sway a lot of people. It swayed me. But again, I knew, you know, if you know what you're going to get, it's like, if you're going to pizza place, you know, okay, you can get a pizza. It might not be the kind you like, but it was, no, it's usually a good shot it is. Um, I think with this, it just felt like because, you know, the Intercontinental title in the grand scheme of things meant absolutely nothing. The IGP belt, you know, you had Ibushi, he won with G1, and, you know, I honestly thought he was going to be winning this. Um, but I think, again, you know, once Nitro won, it's like, well, yeah, they're probably keeping most two away from each other, you know, after the, you know, head drop fest I had last year. Um, yeah, I think Ibushi, you know, is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, you know, we've had, you know, had a fair bit of offense in. Um, I did like how, in this match, Okada started being a dick, slowly, you know, become increasingly, uh, not fully turning a heel, but, you know, kind of being a bit more of a bully than we're more used to seeing with him. And the boost she got the you know, 
what I called the Terminator Ibushi, where he would just simply stop registering stuff even after he landed his own goddamn head, which, I mean, fair play to him, you know, he's getting more and more inventive and finding ways to land on his head. He's now doing it without anybody needing <laughs> to throw it, which, yeah, I... He must not like feeling anything blows his blows neckline. That's all I can think. Apparently not. Yeah, it's that was like the one weird spot because if you haven't seen the match, Abushi's making his big comeback and he goes to do the the Pele, the backflip kick, and he goes to do it and like either he just didn't jump far enough or Okada was a foot back farther than he thought, and he goes and he flips and he just he lands on his head and Okada quickly grabs his legs. And, tr- and they go on, and he's fucking fine and goes on for, like, another 15 minutes. But it's yeah, like, so holy it's, shit, dude. <laughs> I mean, I think a few people I saw compared to, uh, you know, those bot styles clashes you've you had from the past. You know, it was just someone you know, doing a backflip. Or, or in this case, it was him doing a backflip and literally standing on his own goddamn head. Um, I do think, again, you know, this pushed nearly 40 minutes. Could have done have been maybe a minute or two less, but again, this felt this did not feel as long as you know, the 33, you know, the Jay White match did. Um, one thing I would say, and you know, there's been a lot of talk about this since the, uh, the double gold dash was you know, first even uh, talked up. The biggest service I think they had was having it where you had the two champions going against each other because as soon as you had the four people involved instantly you knew not that no the final match on day two was absolutely just to a point i don't think you're going to get jay white and kota bushi as the main event to wrap it up there was some combinations you know i I think people just throwing off the table as that absolutely is not main eventing the biggest show or not the main event of the biggest weekend new japan's had in recent history um yeah i mean this was a card that's best i think in terms of Bushi, probably unfortunate time for him. I mean, he had you know signed the contract last year, got the big push, and to end up coming out. You no, know, really, since the double gold dash start, he since I was announced, he felt like he was the you know perennially going to be you know, the bridesmaid, never bride. This whole thing, he he was there. He never he was he was the guy with the briefcase, but he never really felt front and center in the whole thing, which just feels weird you know, for a guy to. No, won the G1 to be no fourth in list of four. Like, you know, I don't know if no if they're ever going to do this again. Um, no, probably going to have to wait for no 2025 when you've got the next uh, weekend Wrestle Kingdom. But you know, when you've got a guy who you know beat a card to qualify for G1 final, and then you no, know, I'm not saying he didn't put up a fight, but to then just lose and not feeling special. I don't know, that just feels a bit, you know, too collateral damage to my taste, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I understand why, you know, spoiler for Night 2, obviously, I understand why they went with the Naito arc and everything, but I, part of me just, I really felt it should have been Ibushi for the simple fact that, you know, people don't realize the fact that Ibushi and Naito are the same age, except Naito physically looks like he's 60, because he's... You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. This man can still deliver, and I've talked about it several times, and we'll talk about it on night too. He delivers in big matches still, but you cannot discount the fact that the tape on the knees is heavier. You can tell he can't work out his upper body as much because of his neck. 
I mean, there's not a ton of mileage left on Naito. Meanwhile, Ibushi is the same age, and while he lands on his head when he shouldn't and stuff, the man looks like a Greek god. He doesn't look like he's 37. And, you know, I just, I I hope that they don't waste time and possibly wait too long like they did with Naito with Ibushi because you're going to, like, ruin those prime years, but... The match, though, I, I loved. It, I thought it was incredible. I thought the pacing, unlike Jay White and Naito, was spectacular because this match, to me, never felt slow or dragged. It was it was violent and br- uh, brutal in all the right ways. I liked Okada digging deep into his bag of tricks, not only being a dick, but busting out red ink and some other stuff that he hasn't used in forever because I think that shows good desperation against a, a really good opponent. And... I thought Abushi's resiliency and like you mentioned the Terminators, I love when he does that and someone starts hitting him and this fucker just stands there. Does not move and has a thousand yard stare. I thought it was a really special performance from both guys. I thought it built well throughout. Uh, you mentioned the closing stretch out of this world. I bought into Abushi winning a lot. Like many, many times. I kept thinking it was going to be over. Um, so the believability thing in the story I thought was great. And I think for me, like the best way to like describe this match to a lot of people was it felt like a great mix of Okada versus Tanahashi mixed with Nakamura and Ibushi. It kind of fit in a lot of all those themes in the one match and might be another reason I loved it so much. I think again, not to be that guy who, you know, always has to you know, tie into you know, people who've left. There's a lot of stuff in there from Ibushi that, you know, brought back, you know, for Kenny Omega stuff. Um, so stuff like him collapsing out the wave, Rainmakers, uh, you know, from V-Triggers and all that. Now, whether that's intentional, if it's just a, hey, he was you not know, like, you no, know, Taguchi does the, you know, the bummy and what have you, for Nakamura. That's something that, to me, as long as we, you no know, commentary didn't mention, oh, hey, it's Kenny Omega's old moves, etc. To me, um... I'm fine with you know, him throwing it in as like a nod to, you know, to his past. But I just thought it was interesting how that was getting more and more included in the matches as time went on as more of like a desperation kind of play. Yeah, I think that's a good point to bring up. I, I like that as well. It's, again, a lot of layers to this, but um, a, an absolutely excellent match. And it's just, uh, you know, again, that's... Uh, I went the full five on that, and I know as reviewers, we all the the joke with among reviewers, if you guys don't know, is uh, we always joke about the five star fear. Um, it, it's funny with the five star rating because you will have people that will just oh, I decided I love that match five stars, and no excuse to it, and then you'll have like the opposite end of the thing. You'll have a guy that'll like, man, this match was really really great, but I just can't go five. I just can't pull the trigger. But again, they don't have a reason why. <laughs> so it's always funny, but uh, I had no five-star fear on night one, man. No, I mean, again, no, me and you, we stick to the traditional five. You know, Dave Melt is probably up to 20 by now. We'll, I guess we'll see when he comes back from Japan. Uh, but yeah, again, I think it's one of these, if this encapsulates the whole story, I would have been happy if you had just for one Wrestle Kingdom, this was a V main event. No, G1 winner against Naito, against, against uh, Okada, sorry. 
but the fact that you had, you know, this then playing into stuff from the second night, you know, it was almost like it was a, you know, a, a main course that really should have been a starter. Yeah. So, uh, overall, though, I thought night one was pretty excellent. I enjoyed it overall. Um, you get two five-baggers on the same show and a lot of other good stuff. Uh, the Liger stuff mixed in. Uh, thought night one was just a pretty big home run, and it was one of those, how are they going to top it on night two things? And unfortunately, I mean, not, I think compared to night one, night two maybe didn't quite live up to expectations. And I think a lot of that, I would say a lot of matches maybe didn't deliver as much as we thought they were going to. Yeah, and I think that's fair. So we move on to night two. We opened up with the never open weight trios gauntlet with Kevin Kelly burying the never open weight titles, saying he was looking on milk cartons for the titles. And I laughed because he's absolutely right. <laughs> well, I mean, you had uh, the Road to Tokyo Dome tour. Uh, two old spells surfaced. The third one you couldn't find, you know, with a search party. It's like when you've got those belts to me. They were brought in what, four years ago. What use is there for them? I mean, okay, you've got you no know, Bullet Club, Suzuki Gun, Lij, Chaos, the Home Team, what have you, where you could you know conceivably put three teams, three men teams forward. That's never happened. Those these trios belts have been at most card fillers. Like the fact that you know last year was in pre-show, this year was pre-show. Um, like pretty much guarantee outside of maybe Fantastic Mania when Rat Rose cards get announced, you're probably not going to see much from these spells until you know, maybe Destruction Beeper if that runs again. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't, the, those to me were, you had all this uh, stables as you mentioned, and like in theory, the Neverweight six, six Man title should have been something that. You can throw in a main event of these 800 Road 2 shows you run. A little something special, you know? And obviously they're not like a big title, but like, hey, look, it's it's Evil Bushi and Sonata facing off with, you know, whoever. And, you know, and you get a little, you get something that actually feels a little important on these Road 2 shows instead of the same eight-man tag that they'll run like three nights in a row sometimes. I mean, just looking now on cage match, so last year, uh, that pre-show from Wrestle Kingdom was for a shot at these, which, I mean, there's something else that's absolutely useless, you know, a, no, a gauntlet for a shot at belts, which mean nothing. But you had two matches in January, one in February at Honor Rising, rest in peace, uh, one at a Random Road at Ontaku show, one in June at Kazuna Road, one at uh, New Japan Road in October, and then nothing till this. So six matches in one calendar year, and all but one of them at Corkin, which you know, just make that belt you know, a damn Corkin exclusive title if that's where you're going to be. I mean, I'm not saying these need to be every night, like you no know, fakes, you no know, title matches on house shows, but yeah, these belts you know, have never felt less important, and they didn't mean that much when we first came on the scene. Yeah, unfortunately. So, uh, Lij, which was um, Shingo and uh, Shingo Evil and Bushi, uh, won the titles twenty three twenty five. It was a perfectly solid pre show match. Yeah, with I a think, bad referee. Yeah, I was just about to say the fact that when the big talking point this was the referee. I mean, it was the first ten seconds Farley no 
nearly uh, put away um, Robbie, quite, Eagles. Robbie Eagles with the bad luck fall in the first 10 seconds and they have to hold up the count and it didn't pick much from there I mean I know so Jeremy Young you know his LA Dojo uh, ref of training from there um, and I know there's a few people saying last year we had uh, Chris Roberts uh, then ref pro referees now uh, you know part of the NXT UK and that endless um, warehouse full of talent but fact that you know you've got a referee on the pre-show and you've got you know two mistakes, which if you noticed the second one was um, evil pinning uh, Ishii after the darkness falls, which it's the first time in a while you know that thinks even to see finisher has won a match. And you notice after then everyone was making damn sure they kicked out it. You no know, ones were near falls, not two counts. Which yeah, it might be wild for seeing back on a big on a big stage, but um, you know, hopefully you know this isn't something that they you know rip him mercilessly over anyway. Yeah, so that was our lone pre-show match, and then we got into the main card. The Jushin Liger last match, um, which saw Hiromi Takahashi and Ryu Lee facing Liger and Naoki Sano. Dragon Lee, the lone um, ROH representative on this show, showing off the ROH TV title and not even really mentioned, so that was something that just shows you how good that whole thing's going. (laughs) Well, I mean, you had the AEW belt on the show as well, and obviously the Ref Pro title, but I don't know, that, that Ring of Honor relationship, that has been on you know, troubled waters for a while now, and the fact, obviously, Honor Rising is not even in the books this year. I don't know what to tell you, you know, Ring of Honor as a brand seems to have been struggling for a while, and the fact that now New Japan... I don't think it was going to be a big bang of them going, right, screw you guys with taking on your wrestlers. You know, you're still going to get, like, your Jeff Cobbs with the you know, Ring of Honor logo on the Chiron, what have you. But the fact that you had their television champion, their belt was just about mentioned passing by Chris Charlton. Um, but at the same time, uh, Rio Lee coming out with a Los Angobernables baseball jersey with, with Dragon Lee on, I mean, no, come on. No, okay, it's, I know from experience, personalized jerseys like that aren't cheap, but at the same time, you know, stick with your new name, you know, stick with your gimmick. You no, know, don't come into New Japan and pretend to be, you know, Ring of Honor's cosplay Lij when you're in a promotion that's got, you no, know, certainly a, a real deal than what you're playing as. Yeah, an ingubernable stable with Kenny King. It, oh, Kenny fucking King. The guy who won the Honor Rumble and then everyone just went, okay, what's next? I mean, yeah. nothing against him, but you get a lot of guys in, you know, if you follow any promotion long enough, you get guys who are there who, dare I make a comparison, Hanare could end up being the Kenny King of New Japan if that breakout year doesn't happen. Yeah, I, I, I just don't know. It's just... Uh, but anyway, this was the Liger retirement match. Uh, Takahashi and Ryu Lee won 12-20 via pin. Uh, teased a little dissension between Lee and Takahashi. A uh, little miscommunication here during the match. I joked I was talking with Cubs fan. We were breaking down and talking about the various Ingobernable stables. And I wondered how odd the Ingobernable Christmas party was with Hiromu and Lee hanging out after the whole broken neck thing. Um, well, there's been better friendships, I imagine, but, I mean, it's obvious, you know, this whole match was, you know, uh, enemies from 30 years ago against, you know, sworn enemies today. Um, 
I wouldn't be surprised if New Japan actually hold off Roman and Dragon Lee for a while, though. No, I'm not saying they're going to ease him in slowly, but no, Hiromu and Dragon Lee is the big money match, you'd have to say. And I wouldn't be shocked if they hold that off to Wrestle Kingdom next year. Yeah, they should definitely hold it off, at least for a while. Plus the fact that, like, I mean, you can give Hiromu an early, easy title defense because Robbie Eagles pinned them on the road two shows. Absolutely, and I think with, as well, you know, we talk about the uh, tag ranks being a bit starved. If you look at the juniors, was quite a lot there, you know, you know, Sean Yo, okay, they you know, spoiled a bit later on with the tag titles. If you want to, you know, give them individual shots, you can. Um, you know, there's plenty in there, but I think you kind of want to do what we just had with Okada and Naito with these two, especially with, you know, hopefully not jinxing it, but especially with, you know, what happened there last match. I think you want to wait a long time and build that up rather than just throw it out on a, imagine, New beginning in Sapporo, that kind of show. Yeah, definitely. We don't need that on wrestling Hino Cuny or anything like that, man. That's a major show match. But uh, yeah, um, you know, Liger does the uh, does the honors, losing to Hiromu, which I think obviously the right call with Hiromu as champion. And uh, it was uh, it was the um, you know, it was the battle of one generation from the early '90s that was helped set the stage for the early days of the uh, junior stuff to today's feud. I thought it was a nice full circle thing. Good match. Sano worked hard and dude's like 50 something. He only worked like 18 times in the last year. I mean, God, you can't ask much more for him, you know? So, I mean, I thought he looked good. I thought it was fun. And yeah, it's just a, it's a sad day because Liger's done and he killed the uh, English stream as well. Well, that's Eric Stevens at work, you'd have to say. You know, he went off and everyone for what wanting English commentary. Well, there you go. You had the free count on Liger, English feed, died to death. And for quite a few people, uh, I was able to get a backup about a minute or two with the Japanese feed. Uh, but for a lot of people, this kind of wiped out the next match. Um, and again, that surprised me because this show was on, I'd say, a bit more unsociable hour than night one. But again, I guess that just shows the real draw of uh, Dushin Thunder Liger, but you had that many people wanting to watch his farewell, but it just completely killed, you know, especially, it just, it didn't kill the whole website, it just killed the English language feed. Um, yeah, so if you have that many people, I don't know whether they clicked on, you know, just to see the farewell or whether it was just a coincidence, but yeah, a fitting end to you know, the career of a guy who brought, I would dare say, a lot of Western eyes onto this product. Yeah, it, uh, definitely. I lost the uh, English stream on that and uh, had to go back to had to get the Japanese feed, which that was fine. But I checked on the uh, American, like the, the English feed a couple times and it came back up, but it was also moving really slow. That's weird because mine came back, um, I think it was June the end of the next match. I had no such issues, so I don't know whether that was you no know, just you no know, plain dumb luck. I didn't actually close my you know, the, the dead feed. It was just in case I left it on the background. And as soon as I heard you know Japanese and English against each other, I knew just X out the Japanese one. But yeah, I did hear a lot of people having issues uh, if you're using like the Fire TV app. That was an absolute no-no, and it got to the point where I saw you know, plenty of screenshots of folks who were watching through. We'll say other sources, 
and we were talking about you no know, numbers well into the hundreds. And you do have to wonder, you know, the biggest show of the year, the fact that I think it's about half an hour of the feed was down for to, for, to some extent. How much damage has that done, especially for all those new fans who signed up for this? Yeah, yeah, that was uh, definitely not a good look. Um, add that into the questionable camera work we talked about as well. Um, not the best weekend for those issues to be happening. Absolutely not. But again, you know, you could argue they had all the, all the different testing, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, when it comes out, whether it's, you know, Dave or whoever, however many new subscribers they've had, you know, whether this was, you know, insane server load or whether it's just one of those things or you know, Maybe someone tripped on the, you know, tripped on one of the uh, feeds from the, the commentary team, and just the fallback is no audio. We just don't do anything. Yeah, I think uh, I think Gato or Jado like tripped over the modem cord in the back. Man, I don't know. It was just it well, was not good. What I was missing was Gabe tweeting how was the stream, but uh, there's a fallback for you. Yeah. Oh Lord, WrestleMania weekend sometimes was the worst for that stuff. So we moved on to our first title match of the evening, IWGP Junior Tag Team Titles. Rapongi 3K, talking about going back to the well, uh, retained the titles 1440, um, beating El Phantasma and Taiji Ishimori. Uh, so this was the, uh, the, the story of the babyfaces finally getting their revenge uh, after losing the titles and winning tag lead to get back here. And also show screwing over Phantasma and stopping his months of dick punching. Because Show was a smart individual and wore a cup. Uh, Show and you're the smartest wrestlers in wrestling, it seems, because I've seen my fair share of Phantasmo live. Um, no, I wouldn't, no, wouldn't say we're close, but you know, we have not big connection, but something there anyway. But the fact that you, know, you had you know, all these sticker punches, whether it's Repro, New Japan, Super Jacob, etc., and it takes Sean Yo. Were, were they saving for the gold and silver nut cups? I mean, it seems to me, you know, if that's the thing that's you know, saving you from you know, getting the titles back, maybe colour coordination should be after having your dicks being punched. But I digress. But this, yeah, it was a decent match to me. It felt like it had big trouble. Obviously, you know, the, after the Liger match, the air just completely escaped the Tokyo Dome as it was. I mean, it wasn't quite on the level of uh, Flair, Shawn Michaels, because everyone knew this was for farewell. But it, to me, it felt like the crowd was massively subdued after that, and I mean, just cause. Um, but again, this goes back to what we said earlier about the lack of depth in the tag leagues and the, ta- the tag divisions. Um, so the junior tag teams now, so obviously, uh, Punky 3K won the belts back for Frain. But if you go back through the last few cha- the last few champions, Rapongi 3K, Phantasmo Ishimori, Rapongi 3K, Bushin Shingo, Despian Kanamaru, Rapongi 3K. Then you're going back to the Young Bucks two years ago, then Rapongi 3K again, Ricochet and Taguchi, Young Bucks. Uh, so you, you're just going back, it's like you know, guys who aren't there anymore. I mean, I'm looking now, you know, Young Bucks, Red Dragon, Young Bucks, Rapongi Vice, like you, for the, the junior division has mirrored for heavyweight, and to me, I don't know if they can go this route, but they've got to think of maybe merging the belts because, like, you've been batting back and forth. I mean, you know, you've just bounced the belts between you know, Phantasm and Ishimori, Punky 3K. 
you'd imagine would be the obligatory rematch at some point down the line, but I mean, who else is there? Desperado and Kanemaru? No, I mean, we just had the Super Junior Tag League, and no, I'll say, you know, the fact that you had to get a you know, few um, you know, import teams, you know, CMLL, just looking now, they had you know, a Titan, Volador, Tag Mask, Yu well, that, nah, that, that, those aren't regular teams. Clark Connors, TJP, you know, Osprey, if he's been moved up, you know, it's like you've got such a dearth of teams. The natural answer I'd feel is you get rid. But again, I just don't know how you get from, you know, the Ponky 3K overcome being constantly punched in the balls to we say goodbye to one set of tag titles. I don't know how they do it. I think they should do it. Uh, I, I agree that I think they they had trouble getting the crowd into it because they were just the Liger thing, man. They were just, oh, we don't want to watch wrestling anymore. This sucks. <laughs> but uh, I thought that I, I really enjoyed the match. I, I thought it was a good story. I thought the work was good. Uh, I liked 3K getting their revenge and actually outsmarting the heels. And they busted out a new finisher because... They've been uh, watching their Lucha Brothers tapes because they basically did the uh, stuff pile driver double stomp finish with the shock yep. arrow instead. So uh, I, I like the new finish, though. I think that's good. I mean, be fair, the 3K just, it didn't seem to be as impactful. It's like, if this is a new run, like if, if they lose the belts at New Beginning and wherever, then we can have the argument again. But I think you know, new finisher, that does kind of signify they're probably going to be the aces for junior tag division, but um, yeah, it was a good match. Took crowd a while to get in, but be expected. Um, but can we please stop batting these titles amongst the same few people because it's no, it's making the division very much uh, useless at this point. It really is, and that's a shame because obviously, like Rapunky 3K, really talented. Um, Ishimura and Phantasma are talented once you get past all the dick punching and back raking. Although I will say I, I did laugh when Phantasmo decided to do a rope walk and moonsault into a back rake. He is an absolutely glorious dickhead. He is. He really is. Like, so. I know back rakes, I mean, Austin Aries you know, gets brought from back into consciousness a few years back, but you know, all those Bullet Club undercard tags where you had Ishimori, Phantasmo, whoever else, I swear Farley did one. Maybe not for top rope, obviously, but you know, just where they can into a back rake. No, you've got to love a dickhead like us. The back rake has come back big in 2019, 2020, because, like, Tamatonga does it a lot, and then he, like, wipes his hand on the ref. Um, Ortiz from uh, the former LAX, he does it, and then he does, like, a tiger pose. And it's just, it's hilarious. But, yeah, it's like the back rake all of a sudden, like, everybody decided, what do we bring back? And somebody in the wrestler's court was like, the back rake. And Phantasma is like, I got a fucking idea. <laughs> it's an easy, low-impact move, and if you want to shake it up, well, go nuts. That's right. So, uh, Moving on, another title match. Uh, your neck of the woods, Rev Pro British Heavyweight Championship, Zack Sabre Jr. Retaining over Sonata. I know you were afraid. Hallelujah. Uh, around 11 minutes. Um, these two, I know a lot, of, a lot of people, it's really weird. There's like, I think everybody generally loves Zack. And then there's people that, like, 
are super high on Sonata, and then like late in 2019, I don't know if it's because he, he's been beaten but like a drum by Okada like 19 times, but people started like weirdly turning on Sonata. He went from like, oh, he's going to be a huge star, like fucking Sonata, man. But for whatever reason, anyway, I think him and Zach work really great together. Um, I think they have really fun technical field battles. They play off of their previous matches really well. And this was a good change of pace match. Uh, I thought it was pretty great. I went four on it and uh, Zach yep, retains. Same. I think for my money, um, a lot of this match felt a bit like Sonata was kind of being dragged along, I think, in part of my view compared to uh, Sabre, you know, wrestling a broom at points. Uh, but I think the issue I, think I had with this wasn't so much the match. It was more the fear of Sonata being the Ref Pro champion. Um, after the Royal Quest weekend last year, uh, so Ref Pro do these monthly shows at a theater, place called the Cockpit Theatre, which holds maybe 150 people. The day after Royal Quest, there was this big rumour about, oh, we might have a big New Japan star coming. It's like, well, great, it'll be Tanahashi because he just won the Red Bull belt at Royal Quest the day before. And the end of being Sonata, we you know, got a nice, loud reaction, which, whether, whether it's you know, us being spoiled little bastards or what have you, but you could tell there was a very you know, big number of fans in Alpha 150 who were, wow, Sonata, really? Because... On top of that, he'd also been a surprise mystery appearance at another Ref Pro show the day before. So it's like, this is the best surprise we got? And the fact that you know, Sonata's the only um, full-time New Japan guy who's done most cockpit shows. So there's a few people who read him between the lines, but, oh, he's actually going to win and he's going to be coming over. Uh, it's a show you're calling about a month's time to defend it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the match itself... Um, Aside from the fear of Sonata winning the belt, because again, it's just that underlying fear of it's a Rev Pro belt, but really it has been locked up in New Japan storyline since this time last year, really. Um, yeah, I mean, Saber, he can pretty much carry a broom to a good match. Sonata maybe felt a bit off the pace, but you know, still got a really good match out of them. Um, I just hope this is the last time Sonata and Saber paired up because Christ, they were. Never apart from each other last year, it felt. Um, and the one thing, you know, we'll obviously touch the end, Sonata ends the night being the only guy in LIJ without belts. Okay, yeah, so a little audio difficulty there. We are back. And next up, U.S. title match, John Moxley defending against Juice Robinson. Uh, this was actually the match I thought we were going to get this day. I thought Juice was going to win because I did not think he was losing the tag titles and because... I wasn't sure they were going to keep the title on Moxley because of the whole AEW stuff. And then there's all the wacky rumors about AEW and New Japan possibly maybe working together. John Moxley retained the championship 13 minutes. And now we have an interesting situation. Yeah. Um, so obviously this was the match we were looking to get back to King of Pro Wrestling for the Typhoon screwed everything up. Um this was fine. I went for Gentleman's Free on it. To me, it, I think it kind of telegraphed the result. I mean, you know, you were doing the big double goal dash to the, you know, the main event. It felt kind of counterproductive having Juice leaving with two belts. So to me, it kind of telegraphed the result. 
even with the whole thing of, well, what happens with AEW, blah, blah, blah. Um, that being said, you know, they didn't dog it or anything like that. I, I just had a real hard time connecting. Uh, they did, I would say, a watered-down version of the NoDQ match they originally had planned. Um, I've actually you know, had... The referee of this was still uh, Tiger Hattori, wasn't it? Because they were joking on commentary that what they're going to do, fire him on his last Tokyo Dome appearance, but I swear they did that from last year. Uh, but, yeah, it was fine to, to me. It, I don't say it was just a match, but I just couldn't get invested in this, you know, with the overthinking brain of not having juice leave for two belts when you're doing the double gold specialness later on. Um, I think the big story came after the match. Yeah, I think it's a really fair point too because I think I liked it a little more than you did, but I I wasn't as into it as I thought I was going to be, and that's because, as you mentioned, uh, Finley and Juice won the tag title, so it's like the likelihood of him walking out with two titles seemed pretty much nothing, and I think that was felt in the crowd. Like they were into some of the weapon stuff, but they weren't really into it like they were their first matches. So, um, but I liked it, but just it wasn't what I was hoping for. And there are a couple reasons for that. But, uh, yeah, after the match, uh, Moxley was all happy, had the title, was celebrating, and Minoru Suzuki arrived. Got his full entrance. Everybody was happy to see him. He was the fucking hero of the night. And he was not there just to say hello. He took off his tracksuit, he beat Moxley's ass, choked him out, hit him with the Gotch power driver, grabbed the belt, and I think Moxley might die. Well, I mean, no, if you fold backstage, well, fold on Twitch during the show, uh, obviously, uh, Renee Young was after the show, had the uh, Mrs. Moxley press pass. Um, and yeah, just to me, it felt very much like, no, they brought it there, and this is the big rib. Um, you know, we were talking before about how Suzuki didn't get his full entrance or not the night before. Well, here's why. Uh, he got it twice. Um, but yeah, I think this is probably the, you know, if Suzuki's sticking around or whether he's still on the, you know, per two deal or whatever you want to call it, this is the dream match nobody knew they wanted until that music hit. No, I honestly didn't think it was going to happen. I mean, no, there's all those rumours that Suzuki was, you know, winding up. And I don't think this is a match they're going to be doing at uh, Dash tomorrow. I think this is probably going to be a match they, they could be holding off. The only thing is, you know, uh, Moxley isn't going to be hanging around for, obviously not doing Fantastic Mania, he's not a lucha guy. Um, but I also don't know what he can do for the New Beginning shows. Bearing in mind you've got... Oh, Christ, what's that generic, the latest generic AEW pay-per-view revolution at the end yeah. of February? Um, so, yeah, I don't know if they put on one of the new beginning shows and then have them that be the end of it, but it's also case, you know, it's also for the US title. So do you put the belt on Suzuki and, you know, he's a transitional champion? The fact that they went straight back to Moxley here kind of you know, points to the fact that he wasn't meant to. He wasn't going to lose at King of Pro Wrestling, but this may have been the Wrestle Kingdom plan. Um, and that's the case. How far can you hold this off? Yeah, that's going to be the interesting thing. Is when is he going to come back? When are they going to do the match? 
And does this lead any credence to the the new amped up rumors of AEW and New Japan possibly working together? Just a lot of layers. But yeah, like you said, it's kind of the um the dream match people excuse me, people didn't really think they wanted until they saw it. And yeah, the music hit and everybody went nuts for Suzuki and cause they knew he was gonna try to murder a man. So that's always good. Uh, looking forward to this whenever we get it. And like I say, I don't know if they're going to want to do It's like, are you going to try to get it out of the way in early February? Because he he's you know, likely having a title match in late February in AEW. Uh, is this something you stretch out past it? It's like, I don't know, a lot of layers, a lot of undetermined things. But like you said, likely not happening at Dash tomorrow. No. I mean, fact, obviously, you've got uh, Dynamite on Wednesday. I don't think WP too keen or you know, having Moxley if he is on the show this week, you know, cutting cutting it fine or flying back Tuesday for show Wednesday. But um yeah, whenever that happens, I think there's gonna be a lot of people, you know, of all eyes and I can see that match being the next one that's going to draw a lot of people back to New Japan, you know, since you usually get the kind of drop off of day say the casual fans who come to Wrestle Kingdom and then disappear until G one season. Yep, so we got another title match up next, Never Openweight Championship. Hiroki Goto, um, keeping the Wrestle Kingdom tradition alive, winning the Never Openweight Championship back, defeating Kenta 16-20 via pin. Uh, it's a really good hard-hitting battle. I liked, I really liked Kenta picking Goto apart for most of it. I think he was really good with like his facial expressions and heel mannerisms and stuff and like crowd control. Um, you know, Goto overcomes the odds, he gets revenge, and decisively defeated the asshole that turned on him and, and disrespected Shibata. The question is, are they actually to have any kind of stability with the Never Open Weight title, or is this going to be another Goto wins the title and loses it without defending it type thing? So, this match, I liked the match, but by Christ was in, you know, in spite of Goto being in it. This was, so... We were all salivating because we thought this was going to be uh, Katsuyo Shibata against Kenta. Plans changed. I don't know whether you know, Shibata's ever, you know, was ever going to be likely to be uh, cleared for this, but we got Goto instead. And I think that was come to reference to it, uh, Wrestle Kingdom two years ago, that match where you know, Goto was literally legit choked out by Suzuki to start the match. And like that, you know, that gave him some fire and something to work with. Here, I was just sitting waiting for Goto to not be a robot. Like, this is this big blood feud, you know. Kent had turned on you know, his, his chaos stablemate, beat up his best friend twice, and he's just there, just... You may as well start the bloody wrist lock. Like, you know, everyone joking about the, the old Triple H Randy Orton matches where it's a big blood feud, and they start by locking up. I was just sitting here thinking, what the bloody hell are you doing? Like, it's a big blood feud, and it's just a match. You know, Kent is picking them apart, you know, throwing Goat off the ring like he's playing, you know, doing his best berserker impression. And it's like, what the absolute hell are you, is going on with this? Like, okay, Kent is frustrating him. There's just nothing out of Goto. It's just that final minute or two where he actually woke up and did something. It's like, this, you know... I mentioned earlier about how, you know, Sonado was being wrestled around by Sabre. This was more or less, you know, Kendra against the broom for 90% of the match. Yeah, the other thing I think a lot of people have, the, the, uh, to your point too, is like, 
there's a big disconnect with Goto. Because everybody jokes about the the G is for Goto and G1. And then, like, someone said that they need to make a G is for fucking Geek. Because Goto is always that, that guy. That me. What's that? That may have been me. It may have been. So, but, um, I mean, as we all know, it's like, Goto will do, like, really great in, like, these never uh, matches. And he'll turn it up at Wrestle Kingdom a lot of the time. And he can have great matches. But he's like, what, 0-8 in world title matches. So, every time he looks like he's going to maybe do something important, there's a giant disconnect because people just have a hard time caring. Because he's looked at as the guy that always ends up failing. And it doesn't help when you add on top of it that, like, he'll win the Never title and then lose it without a defense. Yeah. Which, the Never title is like, I mean, if that's his level, fine, but at least make him good at it. I mean, looking at Miss today's his fifth reign, and, like, going, I mean, like, that Never title's not been around too long, or just over seven years now, uh, so just over eight years now. And looking now what you started in, again, going through cage match, first one at Wrestle Kingdom three years ago. Then drop, dropped it. Let me pull the matches up. So 2017, he won first time. And now, of course, cage match three. Yeah, won first time in 2017. And... He said Chris Brooks because cage match proved wrong page. But yeah, he, he's just one of these, I don't want to say a perennial jobber, but he just feels like he gets to a point and then it, 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 it was that last hurdle he can never clear. Um, it's like, I don't just, for someone like Goto, you know, it's a guy who, you, with some people just stop investing in. So yeah, uh, so he beat about a Wrestle Kingdom 2017, had three defenses before he lost to Suzuki. Um, 2018, he won it in the in the Wrestle Kingdom. The match we just talked about where he got choked out, lost to Michael Elgin Dominion, then won it back. What nine days later, which was that whole whatever fuckery with um with Taichi. Uh, beat Jeff Cobb in San Francisco, lost in Bipu, regained. See, it was back end of 2018. Beat Taichi, lost to Taichi. Then lost to go. It lost to Coach Rabushi. It's like it's that spell at the end of 2018 that really cemented this. Plus, that god awful G ones G is for Goto. Like, no, we joke about NXT's T-shirts, but come on, that didn't get no, nobody picked that up. Yeah, it's. Uh, I know my my normal coach Jeremy. He has a big problem caring about any Goto match, even if they end up being really good. For just the reasons we're talking about, and just uh, it's a disconnect, and it's hard for some people to get over because it's like it's one of those things that like if the promotion doesn't seem like they care about the guy, why should you? Well, it's hard to care about it. Like, look, kids, you know, scared of a dentist, and it's hard to care about a trip if you know it's going to end up ultimately with a dentist. Britt Baker's a dentist. Never knew that. <laughs> Have to get that in. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think after that, um, so I guess we mentioned before the main show, they were, t- so the pre-show, in fact, ended with Kevin Kelly being rudely cut off. I guess they were teasing some uh, schedule announcements. Uh, we just got the, I guess, the Barker channel for half an hour. 
Um, few interesting bits here. Now, I've only got a, a, scat, a scat list of dates here, but uh, key ones, Best of Super Juniors, ends in June, which is a little bit later than usual, I think. Uh, the key one is G1 Climax 30. That's ending in mid-October, which obviously the Olympics are in Tokyo this year, so a lot of the usual venues are pretty much off-bounds. Obviously, you don't really want to be running a you know a big cross-country tournament right when you've got you know a couple of extra million tourists in your country that you know, that time of year. I know when uh, London we had the Olympics eight years ago, just commuting was an absolute pain, and you know I was barely passing by venues. So you know I think it's an expected move, but um, yeah, G1 moving to I'd guess mid September to mid October. That's going to mean there's going to be a few changes needed in the uh, calendar for uh, New Japan. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I'm not sure. It's going to be weird not having G1 in the summer, I will say that. Well, it means we'll actually do something with our summer. But uh, Hopefully. The one thing that I did notice, and again, we're not going to advertise this, again, another trip to the dentist. Uh, G1 ending in October... So does that mean which 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 generic tag tournaments gets dropped? I'm guessing we're not going to do another Super J Cup. So do they just drop the Junior Tag League, or do they no maybe they merge for two and that's our big open weight tag league? Who knows? Hopefully that's what they do. I would much prefer that. So and then have the winner, or even have them both in the highest ranked teams of each weight class. But uh, yeah, interesting. There's no international dates for. I know there's the uh, slew of New Japan of America dates, a new beginning in with new beginning in USA too was announced. Nothing for UK, which surprising given how well received uh, Royal Quest was. Yeah, I was surprised. I expected uh, at least one UK date, and I expected an Australian date as well because um, just off, based off of what they did last year, I'm very surprised they didn't announce the UK date though. Like, I can understand the Australian date being, like, less priority, but I figured the UK date would be announced, and that that's what came off as very odd to me. I mean, again, you know, the, uh, well, a lot, I think a lot of this may depend with, with Rev Pro. I mean, last year they did the triple header, uh, Rev Pro on Friday, Royal Quest on the Saturday, and then the Rev Pro cockpit on the Sunday. Maybe it's something to do with that, but... Um, yeah, to me, I, I, I'm not you know, raising any red flags or anything like that yet, but I think at the same time, you know, if they don't do a show in the UK this year, maybe, you know, maybe that says something about their relationship with Ref Pro. Who knows? Yeah, um, I see, I was, I was expecting with the, because everybody was expecting the G1 move to later in the year, because everybody knew about the Olympics and that's been a talking point. I was thinking that, if they announced UK date, they would announce one or two during the summer when the G1 normally is. Yeah, I mean, maybe something like, you know, G1 starts maybe in Dallas, maybe not you know, the half-empty arena they expose all the way. But again, I suppose the other issue you've got is uh, Royal Quest, from our member, was only live on Fight TV last uh, year. Yeah, so it, was it wasn't disaster. on YouTube. Yeah, I mean... From from our me- I watched back VOD, but from I remember, even with the fixed version, you had you know the audio was all over the place. Um, so maybe that's something that's maybe spooked New Japan a bit. You know, if they maybe did have plans to start for G1 or do some G1 dates in London, 
and maybe just where that whole show went, just went, made them go up and up. We'll just do a one-off show somewhere down the year. We just need to figure away. Yeah, so I guess we will find out when they decide to announce more stuff. It would be, like you said, though, it's going to be interesting if they don't announce anything because that would probably say a lot about the RevPro thing. But, I mean, then again, like right now it seems okay because you got a few guys over there for Excursion. Yeah, we seem to have half of the Young Lion division right now doing the cockpit shows. Um, Hikaleo, however you want to uh, uh, spell it or capitalize it, he's been over since last summer. He's now kind of drifting on his own now, El Fantasmo's full-time. Short Romino just started in, I want to say, December with RevPro, and he's going to be here for, I believe, two years. Uh, the main one, and I'm not going to do the Gideon Grey intro because I don't want to give myself a heart attack. Uh, Great Khan, who even we took a bit of sabbatical last year, he's been over here since um, when was the uh, summer of 2018 when we did the Strong Style Evolved UK shows. And unbelievably, he's yet to even you know, be on the team that's lost in RevPro. Um, currently half their tag champions and hey no all I'll say is you know Ring of Honor I don't think since they had Evil and Pongy 3K they've not had any young lines over um, the fact that you know Breath Pro's gotten three including you know one who a lot of people think is going to be the future star of the company um, there's about some degree of faith being pushed in that system anyway yeah, and the fact that, like, you know, they sent Ren Narita to the U.S., and he's not in Ring of Honor. No, and again, maybe not the same kind of thing, but uh, Gabriel Kitt, who we talked about earlier, he's training with the LA Dojo, and, you know, he's not yet done a New Japan show, but I'd say keep an eye on him. You know, I watched him uh, back when What Culture Pro Wrestling was a thing. Early on, he did this big losing streak, but he's a guy who, before he went to the LA Dojo, has had a lot of talent, was being sorely underused on the British scene. And I think uh, a show I watched uh, the other day from uh, middle of last year before he left, where he was saying he's actually going to be in LA for two years. So, you know, we could be talking about, what, some of 2021, late 2021 before he's back, by which point, who knows, he may end up you know, doing the Carl Fredericks route. Yeah, it's it's wild how they determine and how long guys are going to stay and you know like Kawato's down in CMLL and it'll be interesting to see what all happens when they kind of circle around and start coming back uh so we will go to our next match which was our loser brackets match from the double gold dash Jay White defeating Kota Ibushi 24-50 via pin I want to hear your thoughts first so and I don't know, obviously, what happened after the main event may change this, but my original impression on this was that the third-place match was going to be for a title shot. I swear at some point in the build-up, that was, you know, the carrot they were dangling to at least make this interesting. Um, you know, we'll have to wait and see whether, you know, plans changed. But because there was that title match thing being dragged over, I was a bit more into it than I probably would have been otherwise. Um, you know, they kept this a little bit short from yesterday, but again, Jay White, you know, and I've seen people complain about this isn't just a Jay White problem. This is a New Japan problem. Like you look at the card today, I'm looking on cage match now and with, with timings, 
know, you're looking 12 minutes, 14, 12, 12, 16. The matches that, quote, mean something, you're talking over 20, 25 minutes now. That's an issue I think that New Japan need to get away from because it's not a case of everyone can go that, you know, that length of time. Obviously, you no, know, today wasn't quite as bad as yesterday. But again, you need the bells and whistles of Jay White, you know, the ref bumps, the Gado stuff. And I was fine because, again, Jay White's a heel. He's got a cheat to win. But at some point, they have to progress beyond that. And you know, in works fine, but they need to get away from he needs help to win. Because you know, at the end of the day, you have to expect that Jay White is going to be going back to being you know, IWGP champion at some point. And do you really want, or do they really need a champion who, A, is heel, but is using all the quote-unquote Western tactics to get there and stay there? Um, yeah, the match to me was fine. I think I went three and a half on it. This is another one I saw, you know, uh, ratings all over the place. Um, I know Arn Fury is he's probably not the best fan of Jay White. He think he's a, I think he's probably a fair for in terms of his favourite wrestlers. He went uh, start three quarter, which, Christ, that's, I think it was a bit of the uh, statement law rating there, if you ask me. But um, yeah, this was it wasn't as bad as that. But again, if I watched this live and no, again, I, I, I don't think they said once the title what title match wasn't online. But, you know, if they just said, yeah, this is just a special singles match for Pride with nothing on the line. I probably have been a lot harder on this, you no, know, than when I, when I when I was. You know, this, the cheating to win when it's a title match up for grabs, you can get that. But cheating to win just a match, yeah, I would have been a lot a lot more uh, harsh. I was not a fan, and I'm gonna try not to get overly ranty about this. I thought this match felt like two matches. It felt like fifty percent of a great match. And then just kind of 50% of bullshit that killed all my interest. And to me, the problem isn't with Jay White, the performer, because he's a heel. He does heel things, and that's fine. But it is the same thing in every fucking singles match he has. It's, for me, completely diminishing returns. I can't even tell you the last Jay White match that didn't have Gato involved, ref bumps, chair shots, low blows, and everything else they do every time out. And I think that's actually a shame because I like Jay a lot. I think he does a lot of things very well. But it's just complete subtraction by addition at this point. Every time they add stuff, it takes away from a match for me. I also think it takes away from what his perceived abilities are because... All of his matches feel the same. They start out really good, and they even tease being great a lot. And occasionally, they over um, they overcome the constant just overbooking. But it feels lazy. He's, I guess, he, he's different, which is good. And I think that you either kind of really like the cheating heel in your New Japan, or you don't. But I just find it completely repetitive. If they actually had a little restraint to it, it would be one thing. Like, if he did it every once in a while, like you said, in a super important match, like a title shot's on the line, a title's on the line, I think that that makes more sense. But they do it in every match. And I know some people love it, and that's fine, but it feels like 
they they they've created this Jay White character, and commentary does a really good job of making him look really smart, and he's a really good counter wrestler, and he does a lot of things to frustrate people, and he's like kind of devious and evil, and that's awesome. But with the way they book him all the time, it doesn't make it look like he can beat anybody on his own. And I think that's. I think you're kind of killing the character when you do that. Yeah, and again, I think you know, we had that title reign last year, which, you know, it's fair in his resume. It was a zero defense run. Whether that does more harm than good going forward, you know, we'll need to see. But yeah, this whole iteration of Jay White as the leader of Bullet Club, it's still nothing for me. Like, you know, he had you know, prior, you know, all the prior leaders. This one just feels like the least important version of Bullet Club. I mean, the fact that, you know, it had El Fantasmo starting to do, you know, former leaders' moves. Uh, no. Again, this may be my bias, you know, having you know, seen him, you know, grow in the UK. I wouldn't be too shocked if he ended up being, you know, like a, okay, maybe not the top tier Bullet Club it is now. But I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if someone like him started making a push, maybe not this year, maybe year two down the line. Because this Jay White just doesn't seem to be working. The fact that you know, this was Bullet Club's only win of the weekend. Um, no, no, that might just be an anomaly when it comes to booking. But you know, they don't usually you know, make them go you know, one and five, whatever it was, without something being planned. Yeah, I guess we'll see, man. But I just, I don't know. I think you could just do a lot more. I don't understand why... Every evil heel has to be a totally cliche version of an evil heel. You know, I don't understand why we need Gato's interference in every match. I don't understand why we Giotto has to do a fucking kendo shot in every Gorilla's Destiny match. It, it happens too often. It's not special, and I think I think that's the point. Yeah, and so, it's, and it, that that's my biggest beef with it because it just it all feels the same, and I just I, I really do. I know some people are down on Jay White overall, and I can understand that. But I think he's pretty fucking talented, and I think he could do way more than the booking allows him to do. Why can't he just be like a borderline, like devious psychopath that like does really cool shit out? Th- Why can't the heel every once in a while just outsmart and be like a fucking evil genius and steal wins that way without resorting to the whole dog and pony show? It's almost like they found what they think is a winning formula and they just don't want to change it, which, again, is fine, but when you're doing it every single time... I mean, there's a point now where, you know, if Jay White matches, you know not to care until Gato gets involved. And it's like, do you really want to get to that point where it's like, you know, the peak WWE where, you know, you, how many title matches would you see back in the day where you just, you know, not be interested until you start seeing the crowd looking to the entranceway because that's when you start caring. Yeah. And it's that's the kind of scope you're in now. Yeah, I just, I, I wish they'd dare to be a little different with him because I, th- I think you can do, I think you can do a lot with him, but we will see. Um, next up, Chris Jericho defeated Hiroshi Tanahashi 22-30 via submission. Uh, pretty clean submission with the Lion Tamer. Yeah, so I went four on this. Um, I'm not going to lie, I was a big fan of Tanahashi as Chris Jericho in that pre-match video. Um, so this is one where I think you're going to have all of the speculation about the all AEW New Japan stuff. Uh, originally, it's that line about how 
if Tanahashi wins, he's going to ask for a title match, which somehow got translated as if he wins, he gets a title match, which then became official. Um, this was a very different Jericho match to what we've had before in New Japan. You know, we didn't have a walk and brawls. So was none of the bells and whistles as such. This was as close as he's going to get in 2020 to a straight-laced wrestling match with Chris Jericho. Um, you know, you had so okay a bit where Tanahashi was thrown on the, the commentary desk. It was the Eric Stevens documentary um, spot where the English commentary went uh, dead for a large part of the match. But I think as outside of that, this was you know pretty much straight up you no know, wrestling match, no plunder, very little else. Um, but my big concern, I know we said a lot of this during uh, Tag League, it's another loss for Tanahashi. And you look at all those losses he's been eating in the last six months. <sighs> that ace is starting to go backwards big time. Yeah, I really I really wonder what they're going to do exactly with him going forward. So I don't think anybody... I don't think anybody with like a reasonable thought process thinks that Tanahashi is just going to magically rush to the main event scene and have like a two-year title run anymore or anything. You know, I mean, I, I think we have all come to the terms that the ace is getting older. He has a lot of injury issues over the years, and he has been downgraded, but he's also still the ace, and he's a guy that you can pop up in the big feuds if you have to, and people will buy it. I just, I, the World Tag League thing really turned me off, because he, he was booked in a fucking geek tag team. They won, like, two matches or whatever. It was just so depressing. And I know everybody's like, well, he's helping Hanari, and, you know, it, he's not taking the actual losses. Yeah, but they're a team. They lost, like, how many fucking matches were they? They lost, like, 15 matches. If they got six points, so that's out one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. So twelve win twelve losses, three wins. Okay. Which was damn near the bottom of the table. Yes, I mean he's losing twelve matches. He looks like a geek. And I mean it's fine to downgrade him and to do things, but I don't think you should have done that. I just that that killed a lot of the stuff for me. But uh I really like this match. I want four as well. I thought they uh carefully crafted match. Not a lot of smoke and mirrors, but a little bit. Like you mentioned, the stuff on the floor at the table. Um, and Tanahashi, you know, we talk about his physical state and him being broken down or whatever all you want, but he still tells, tells really great stories. Um, everybody likes to make fun of Jericho's physique, and I think that's just low-hanging fruit at this point. I mean, Jericho's older. It is what he is. The man likes to drink. Looked like he was maybe on a high-salt diet for this one, a little puffy. But, I mean, he delivered a great match. I, I really enjoyed it. And I, he's this really weird mix right now of he looks like the guy you think he should be at, like, 50-whatever years old. But he shows these, like, very small flashes of, like, what he used to be. And it's just, like, this kind of cool, weird combination that I enjoy. And I, I really liked it. And I think um, in my preview, I thought he was going to win and... My idea was that he returns at Dominion and they go kind of full circle because that's where this feud started. And maybe that's where Tanahashi picks up his revenge win. But we'll I see. Know, I know when Jericho started, the, he had this you know, list like Cody had of everyone he wanted to face on this run. And if I remember correctly, that list is pretty much done. Um, so, you know, this was the whole talk of the Forbidden Door, which, I mean, come on, you've got, you know, even though Moxie's got a separate contract, an AEW guy is the United States champion. 
that belt ain't getting defended on the US tours for obvious reasons. So you'd have to imagine something's going to get worked out, whether it's these ad hoc matches. Um, yeah, I think with Jericho, he's one of those guys who his very recent career, he's managed to play it smart. He's played it smart. Like, he's not overexposed himself. I mean, you know, he's done selected matches. Okay, with age, we starting, he's had a lot more in the past. I mean, I'm looking now, cage match, he's had... Uh, 13 matches since the start of 2019 to cover the previous 13 oh, well okay he had a WWE run but oh, no, outside of WWE run he's not been really hammering like indies whatever he's not been doing for all due respect Northeast wrestling he's not been you know doing you know, New Japan or PW uh, not been doing you know, PWX or Ring of Honor I should say you know, he's, he's really picked a spot and what's meant is when you see him He's actually special. He's not Chris Jericho's not doing you no, know, uh, no road to new beginning in you no know, Kanagawa or somewhere like that. He's only doing the big spots, and okay, you can maybe argue with coming in for big shows and only co- going in through video package, maybe a bit big leaking. But for God's sake, the guy's fifty. You know, the career he's had, you know, you're not expecting a guy like him to do the quote unquote the Maccabee run. Again, you no, know, we see Toki Makabe doing those uh no road two shows, doesn't take a bump. You no, know, do you really want to see Jericho do that? No, exactly. That the the, the thing is funny because especially you know, guys like us that review stuff, that that's like a big running joke with Makabe. It's like, holy shit, he took a bump. Like there was a World Tag League match, he actually took like three bumps and we were all shocked. It's just it is what he is. But yeah, you Jericho's not working fucking Road to Hiroshima or some bullshit. Yeah, it's like, and you're right. He is kept special. And the other thing is, people, people sometimes bitch about like, well, he's only doing the video stuff, blah blah blah. blah. But the fact is, it works because when Jericho's in, every time he's been in, they've shown bumps in ticket sales, bumps in New Japan World subscriptions. And so it's like, obviously, maybe not tonight on night two, since you know we were down from night one, but. Generally, he, especially with the Kenny Omega stuff, he has shown that he moves business. And apparently, New Japan is very happy paying him a decently steep price, from what I hear. And he's happy collecting that money and going to work there. Well, again, if, you know, if New Japan's the only promotion he works for in Japan, fair enough. If AEW suddenly decides, hey, we're, we're fed up touring the eastern half of America, let's try Japan, like that's ever going to happen. No, that's one thing. But like, I'm looking now his win loss record. The only guys he's lost to are Okada and Omega. No, so you could argue he's been presented as a big guy. He's been treated like a big guy. My only question is, is there a next, an obvious next step from this? Because if you look, he's he's beaten Tanahashi today. He's no, okay, he's lost to Okada, but he's no, he's no, so he lost to Naito as well. Big parts, yeah. So he's he's in for mix, but it's like. If you get you know, if they get to the point where they maybe need him for a you know, bigger main event or something like that, he's a guy who, if you need like a throwaway title to match, he's a guy you could throw in and nobody's going to bat an eyelid. I think the fact that you know, in the landscape we're in now where everyone's signed, the fact you've got these kind of wild cards like Jericho and to a lesser extent Moxley, you know, they're going to be invaluable for New Japan, especially because they are names through WWE that you know, fans in Japan know and you no know, treat as a special attraction. 
kind of like the territories of the old days. Yeah, and I think it's a very fair assessment. That's the thing, too, is that there's nothing wrong with special attraction, guys. I mean, if he starts stinking up the joint, then we can talk about it. So, but, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. Um, It will be interesting to see what they bring him, if, they, if and when and who they bring him back for. Because I think you could definitely do a Tanahashi rematch, but maybe he wants something different. Maybe someone new catches his eye. You know, um, for his sake, I hope it's not like Shingo, because he would probably break Jericho, and we don't need that. No, I mean, again, what I would argue is, you know, Jericho had that list. I don't recall there being many more names on here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just have to say, the obvious one, I would guess, would maybe be a rematch with Tanahashi. But, yeah, who knows? It may even be Okada. No, if Carter's not, Carter's seemingly not in the title mix, but you no, know, guess we can move on if I want, since uh, you know, that puts a nice bomb the weekend. Yeah, we will. Um, again, I'm I'm really fascinated to see when, who, and if you know everything that because it's as you said, he kind of went through that list, and is it going to come to a point when maybe AEW looks at him and Moxley and kind of puts his foot down, like, listen, really need you not to be going to Japan and doing this shit. You know, or are they going to eventually work together or whatever? It's just way too many variables to figure out. But it's 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 interesting to think about. Um, I wonder if Jericho had Suzuki on his list and then saw him live and took him off. That wouldn't surprise me. If I was him, I would be doing exactly the same thing. Exactly. Uh, main event finally closing up night two. The double gold dash, double championship. Naito finally overcomes, defeats Okada, 35-45 via pin. I had the over-under set at 36 because that was Okada's uh, average heading in. So, uh, actually, they went under. Shocking. Yeah, I mean, the one takeaway I had from this, this felt like a very quick 36. To the point where I was surprised it ended when it did. I agree. No. I agree. No, it, it got, we got the point, I mean, just going through the, you know, the play-by-play stuff, like you had, you know, the Stardust Press, Kick-Out, um, Gloria, Destine was like, to me it felt like, you know, and again, as if the dumbest people had complained, but it felt like it was kind of like a almost WWE finish where you had all your moves then hit my, my big two or three finishes and there's a win. I mean, that's not a complaint of a match, but it's just to me it felt like it was something as epic as no double gold dash, no first man to leave with the two main titles. I don't know, it just felt like, no, I shouldn't have been going along for the sake of going along, but it just felt like Naito got in his groove, did his moves, got the win, job done. And, you know, bear in mind that the whole, you know, and there's people, you know, Slate and Forvis, a lot of knee work here and against uh, Jay White yesterday, Yet it didn't seem to play too much into finish. Like, okay, you had the stumbles, but at the end of it, no, it seemed to be more. He lo- he didn't win earlier because of his knee. Like uh, one of the destinos where he landed with his knee, you not know, like ninety degrees, but delayed a, delayed a pain. Um, I mean, like I'm not one for you no, know, you no know, picking apart selling because it's it's the whole thing. You know, you, you know, you're meant to suspend disbelief, but at the same time, you no. Know, this wasn't like the Jay White match where it was a lot of legwork and went, oh, his leg's suddenly fine. Um, yeah, it was, I think this one, it was, it was someone I saw on Twitter yesterday mentioned how 
was another match that I completely forget, but it took them three attempts to get the win in the Tokyo Dome. And this was uh, Naito's first attempt in the Dome. So it's like, yeah, no, third time lucky again. But um, my big takeaway from this is that this was a as close to a defined, um, as, as close to a definite win over Okada as you're going to get. And the fact that we went straight into an angle that didn't include Okada afterwards, like, they still kept it alive, you know, they did the whole, uh, you know, we'll have another rematch and do a tea, which, if they can hold these two off for five years, you know, when we have another weekend, great, but I don't think it's going to be five years. Um, the fact that they, you know, pinned Okada, shuffled him away, and then moved on to the next thing, I thought was very telling. Whether it means Okada has another breakdown like he did a few years back, you know, we'll have to see. Yeah, I wonder if we'll get uh, Big Kaz wearing his uh, pants and carrying balloons around and doing Scooby-Dooby-Doo high crosses again. Well, all the balloons, too. Yep. Uh, yeah, no, uh, obviously this was the big win, and uh, everybody was, you know, Naito has to win. That's all I kept hearing. And then, I mean, it made for a great atmosphere and a magnificent story and everything. It really did. I'm not going to dog it at all. So, yeah, he he defeats the ghost of Wrestle Kingdom's past. And as you said, pretty much the most definitive win you're going to get over Okada. I mean, obviously no LIJ involvement, no bullshit from anybody at ringside. Um, And, yeah, it was a quick 35. It, It went along well, and I think part of that was they didn't do that long 15 minute stretch at the beginning like Okada normally does. They did a little bit of stalling and played to the crowd, and then they kind of got right to action. So that was a big relief, I think, for a lot of people. I th- I felt it went along really fast. I enjoyed the hell out of it, and um, I just just a lot of the stuff they did. The story was great here. It's just Naito trying to overcome, Okada trying to dissect him. He kept going back to the knee, hitting repeated versions of the Rainmaker, and you know it's like. You know, you had like panicked counter moves almost, and Naito's knee stuff, as you mentioned, a little bit of stumblage, like on purpose to sell that. He couldn't cover properly at times. He busts out the Stardust Press, and he couldn't win with that, so he had to keep fighting, keep fighting, keep fighting. And just when you get the crowd to that fever pitch like that, because I heard a lot of people saying, well, if Naito wins, nobody's going to care. And I'm not saying it's the right move or the perfect move, and we're going to find out going forward, obviously. I mean, Naito is still very popular. Is he going to be able to keep together? How much is he going to work? Who's he going to face going forward? Obviously, we know who's first up. We'll talk about that in a minute. I mean, does the business stay the same and everything? If the business stays the same, you got a big reaction here, and it was a big moment, then it's not too late because obviously people care. I don't think anybody's going to say nobody cared about this match. No. I mean, the one thing you mentioned there about how he, Nigel, hit the Stardust Press but didn't get the win, is that still the part of the story they're going to use? You know, they already teased to rematch the card at some point. Is that, no, Nigel won the two belts, obviously didn't get the moment from the sun, but is the real closure he wins with his old finish and that's the end of it? To me, I no, maybe I'm you know, finding a thread and trying to clutch at it, but... To me, it felt like that was one bit, you no know, one little concession they made, so that the rematch isn't just hey, it's the rematch of the, you no, know, the equivalent of the equivalent of you no, know, 
rematch you know, of the first uh, big you know, double belt dash final, whatever you want to call this. And they didn't, with this, they've never said at any point that they are unifying these belts. So, you know, if you want to talk about what happened afterwards, um, you know, had the, where weirdly, no LIJ out with Naito, you know, doing the roll call, no confetti, but before he could even say, I think he got evil out, and then Kent of all people came through the crowd, talk about failing up, um, you know, beat, beat down uh, Naito, PK, go to sleep, and then it's only Bushi came out, and I'm wondering, did Big Sean Kane lock the rest of LIJ in the locker room somewhere? Because I know the Tokyo Dome's big, but Christ, you know, your lead has you know, won, you know, got this, you know, finally got this big uh, you know, tournament win, for a matter of word. Where the hell are your, where the hell are your friends, you know? Yeah, that was the weird part of the whole angle. It's like, they're doing the big celebration. I, I think you could have still done the Kenta stuff. But like, you could have had, like, Obviously, there's way more Bullet Club members than LIJ members. So, I mean, you could have had LIJ start the celebration and then Bullet Club just swarm the ring and Kenta beat the shit out of Naito and do it, too. It seems really weird that he's out there without all of his pals and even though he's talking about them. As you said, he started doing the roll call and everything's happy and then Kenta rods and kicks shit out of him, sits on his chest, poses with the belts, and then Bushi appears. He's like, oh, hey, did I miss something? Sorry. You know? And I saw I saw a lot of people pissed off at this. Naito didn't even get his moment. Gato fucked him again. Okay, he, he just won. He holds the most two important titles. Here's the thing. Everybody would have bitched if all of a sudden they said, hey, we're to do Naito versus Okada next month. Yeah. Everybody would have bitched if Jay White came out and they were to do Jay White and Naito again after we just did it the night before. Well, the thing is this, like, you had you know, the big double, no, double belt dash. If it was Okada, yes, he would have gotten the moment in the sun because he is the guy who's been leading the company. Naito isn't the guy they've been building New Japan around for the last however many years. And I think what you've got to remember is this. Wrestle Kingdom's finished. And then what? You know, okay, you could have gone, oh, well, do it on you know, New Year's Dash. Well, you've got all the eyes, no, relatively speaking, you've got all the eyes of the world watching that particular moment of Nitro celebrating. Um, the promote, guy used to promote uh, WXW, uh, Christian Mikhail Jacoby, had a saying that a lot of people in per of you painting of repeating is you can't have rice pudding every day. You know, the, you know, the analogy being that uh, Naito winning was you getting rice pudding, but they've pulled the spoon away from you, so you've got it, you just can't have it yet. And what that means is if, you know, they want to go back to Okada Naito at some point and Naito wins, there's your moment. You've, you know, you've had Naito win the belt, but you haven't gone all the way with him yet. So, yeah, it's you know, they've pretty much gone all the way without actually finishing. Um, and, yeah, it's, I, I don't know, like, the Naito fan base I've always found being very weird in New Japan. Like, people have got their very set idea of how he should be booked. And it's not he should win every single match and rule the company forever in a day, but it's like people have got their ideas of how he should be building up to being the champion and the head of a company, when in reality... 
I mean, I, I'm I'm surprised generally which he won out the whole weekend. I thought, you know, if if it wasn't going to be Bushi, it was going to be Cardo winning the whole thing. But at the same point, it's like, well, no, if this is, I honestly don't think this was also the long game, you know, two years ago when he lost, for instance. But I do think that now he's the champion, they also can't take it off him quickly. I think the last train he had one, maybe two defences on. Um, I think with this, he's got to hold it for most of, if not the full year. Otherwise, then he's starting to wander back into Goto territory. Um, but I do think with Naito, you've still got that moment in the bank for if he you know, gets back to the top of the mountain and then he gets the big confetti and the big celebrations. And who knows? You know, we don't know for Carter, you know, is there, you know, if there's any kind of underlying injury or something that you know, they're trying to hide. Maybe expecting the card to take time off or something like that. Maybe they're saving that moment for you know, a card going on sabbatical or something like that and no night comes up. You don't know. But at the moment, the snapshots you've got, you know, this is the best way of having a new champion and creating a new challenger in whatever way without actually you know, you know, having all the you know, smarky backlash of, oh, it's only Kenta, he lost in the semi, he lost in the undercard. Why should we care? Well, he's giving you a bloody reason to care. Exactly. The night to win pays off a story that you can go back about seven years for to where he started building all of this giant crowd support. And he finally, like you said, he gets the moment, but he doesn't get the full moment. He gets the win. He's about to have that big celebration. He's expecting his pals to come out. And then Kenta, who's just a complete fucking dickbag that everybody hates, ruins his moment, lays him out, sits on his chest, basically fucking teabags him. And... It's actually perfect in a lot of ways because if you follow the whole Naito stuff, his story's never been, like, neat and easy. It's never happy. It's never great. There's always going to be moments where he succeeds, but it's going to be also fucked up and there's going to be hardships along the way. It's never going to be puppies and kittens with Naito. That's part of the whole thing with him. And that's why it works. And people are like, well, why should Kenta get a shot? He lost his title on this show. Okay, I get that. You're not making a bad point. He's going to get a title shot because he beat the shit out of Naito. He embarrassed him on the biggest stage of the year. And Naito is going to demand that they face off. And that's how you get to the match. And there's going to be heat for that match because people already hated Kenta. There was heat on Kenta anyway. And now you have him ruin, ruin this big moment that so many people kept saying they were waiting for. Yeah, it'll work. And like you said, I mean, he has to get a few title defenses at the very least. Depending, I don't know how long the title run's going to last. It might be Dominion. It might be all fucking year for all I know. It's, a, it's hard to pick with Gato sometimes, you know? So we'll see what happens. But I mean, I don't think Kent is a horrible first challenger. No. I mean, again, you touched on a bear. When he debuted in New Japan, you no, know, even with the Nushabata seal of approval, he was getting hate from those New Japan fans, you know, over in Japan. It's like the natural thing, turn him heel. Bullet Club thing, uh, he's not doing all the shtick and meme stuff that the rest of Bullet Club are doing, which makes him stand out, unlike Jay White. But to me, it's like, well, he's also a guy who, you know, that phrase he used earlier, failing up. He lost for never title, well... Okay, but he's embarrassed uh, Naito into giving him a shot you'd expect. 
And to me, it's like, it's a solid first defense. But my only issue is, the way we are now, who else is in line for shots? Because I'm looking now, the first um, title reign that uh, Nigel had in 2016, defense one was Ishii, then he lost back to a card, and that was in the space of two months. Now, if you have a run where it's, no, all people can Kenta, so it's like Kenta, hopefully not Goto, Ishii, you know, but that kind of level, it's maybe not going to work. But at the same point, you know, do you go to Naito Tanahashi you know, and have him get the win over the falling ace and you know, cement himself? I think where they go from here, and this obviously the assumption that I, you know, I, if the Jay White thing isn't going to be a thing, which I think is probably smart because they don't really do the match from yesterday, if that's not going to be a thing until, I don't know, Dominion, then Okada's got to have something to do for a full year. Who else fills some gaps? Do you bring Chris Jericho in for, you know, for a rematch? You know, do you put John Moxley up there? No. Heck, do, you, do you do Lance Archer? I mean, it's the thing, because we've been so used to Okada ruling the roost here for so long, you know, we're now having to look at a new champion, a new set of challenges. You know, how they get there, that's going to be a fun part of the story, I feel. You could definitely... Could, Moxley beat Naito in the G1, didn't he? Uh, actually, let me check. I'm pretty sure it, it he so- did. It sounds right. Um, John Moxley... Uh, G1, John Moxley defeat Tetsuya Naito yeah, end, of Jan- end of July. Yep, that's back when Naito was really struggling with G1. So yeah, Moxley's got a win over him. Um, actually, we want to go just through singles matches. Uh, you're looking at, ooh, yeah, so te- uh, Toriyano beat Naito, Taichi beat Naito, uh, Moxley beat Naito, JY beat Naito. Um, yeah, let's not stick with a G1 for potential challenger, shall we? <laughs> All right, but we could do Moxley, and then we, we had the money match in Yano, and it'll be all right. But no, I mean, yeah, I mean, it'll be, I'm, I'm interested to see how they book out the year and if they're a little less reliant on Okada. And I understand why they are, but I know people get so upset. Why is Okada always in the main event? Well, he's selling tickets and making money. It's... And it's like, again, you know, I know others have, com- have complained how everyone's conditioned, well, WWE does this, why are you doing it differently? It's a different business model. Yeah. No, New Japan is in a situation where they have a multi-billion dollar TV deal to let them you know, play around with whatever the hell they want because there's no consequences. New Japan is kind of one of the few remaining big companies where what they do has an effect. Like, make no mistake, if you no know, crowds suddenly start dwindling down, if, I don't know, Corken Hall starts getting like sub-1,000 crowds if Knight was champion, it won't. But if that happened... You know, we damn sure they took get that belt off him as soon, no quick from the hiccup. So, well, so the companies will just do, we'll just you know, leave it on them. Well, we've got this story written out. We'll let it play out. If we lose money, air yeah, TV will subsidise. But yeah, what happens now with the big players um, is going to be very interesting because you know, they said in on commentary it's uncharted territory, not beyond hope. But you no, know, this is uncharted territory and uncharted waters. Uh, this is all going to be very interesting to see just where they head and how they how they play from here. Yeah, and I think that's kind of exciting because a lot of people seem to think that the New Japan booking has been really stale. So we'll find out going forward. 
New Year's Dash, over the past few years, we've had a lot of big angles at New Year's Dash. Um, you, obviously, like Suzuki Gun returning, Jericho attacking Naito, stuff like that. Um, what do you, do you think, what are we thinking we're getting at New Year's Dash? So, obviously, the only thing is uh, Lyx Retirement, which is a, is a given. Um, I wouldn't be too shocked if they started teasing a split up in Suzuki Gun. Um, obviously, we've got Moxley and Suzuki, so I don't think they're going to be pulling the trigger, but maybe start sowing seeds there. Um, as for the rest, I generally don't know. I would hope, you know, that they, I mean, we spent a little bit of time early, you know, dogging the two tag divisions. I would hope they build some kind of new, you know, tag challenges up and we're not just going straight to rematches, but I have a feeling we're going to be in for a lot of undercard tags. I mean, I'm looking at uh, the prior few uh, dashes and those weren't too shabby, like, Okay, you had a lot of tags, but they literally were you know, two on two or three on threes. Um, you know, I I could maybe see, you know, we, I know we used to cover these the uh, Lionsgate projects, you know, the Nagata uh, Young Lion shows. It wouldn't surprise me if they started doing something like a trial series, I guess. The problem is Yumu and Suji are the only ones left sitting around. Do they keep... Um, no, do they, do they use Carl Fredrickson to you know, have him go through some of the old guards and start pushing him up? I mean, no, no, I'm not going to bring personal life into it, but you know, it's you know, pretty much uh, not spoken online. You know, his uh, relationship status and it's with someone who's you know, uh, based out of living in Japan for the moment. Do they bring him back for some kind of trial series and then start integrating him on the roster you know, permanently? Um, yeah. I also I think we touched on this earlier as well, though the Bullet Club. I wouldn't be too shocked if there were some changes there. I mean, Jay White's the one who won any any of his matches this weekend. Um, it would almost be kind of like reshuffling deck cards that is being played to death. But I don't know they always seem to do something with Bullet Club this time of year. Um, you know, whether it's bodies going or maybe not new lead, but I could definitely see there being some change in that lineup. If only just to shake those undercards up. Do you think that they maybe start teasing a um, a battle for leadership almost with the Kenta angle that just played out? Maybe Kenta versus Jay. Um, or teasing some dissension. You know what I mean? Potentially. I mean, no. I and again, I didn't see any any of the marketing stuff in New Japan that said otherwise. But I could have sworn that third place match I said was for a title shot now. If that suddenly comes back to perform and they start, no, it's no, I should have a shot. I came third. Well, I have a shot. I did this. Where were you? Yeah. But again, I think it's also maybe a bit too close to what we just had. With, well, just last year or so with uh, Kenny Omega before the Elite buggered off. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm always interested to see what they do at Dash because they can normally set some fun things in motion. It is the uh, the big mystery vortex, obviously, though, with uh, nothing being announced but the Liger retirement thing. So, last up, we have an NXT UK takeover this weekend. Blackpool 2, same date, but it's on a Sunday this year. We got a card. Before we talk about it, are you excited at all for this show? Because you were one of the few people like me that review every episode of NXT UK. Yeah, NXT UK, it's the brand that you know, they moved to Thursday to let NXT and AEW have a clear run on Wednesday. Such a powerful brand, all kidding aside. Um, 
for me, it's... I mean, on the British scene, it's kind of a dirty word, I would say. You know, there are, you know, there are a lot of WWE fans who you know, are happy to exist. Problem is, these kind of tapings, you know, these kind of events, what have you, there's next to no buzz. Like, you know, NXT UK every week thinks maybe just me and you who watch these every week now since, uh, you know, Joel Lanza's moved on to the other Wednesday night B shows. But to me, just I just get the distinct feeling with this that NXT UK takeover is the, the shows that get other people watching, even those who said would never watch because of the damage that's being perceived to be done to the indie scene, and then they disappear as soon as the show finishes. Um, my concern with this, if you look at the lineup for Sunday's show and compare it to the show last year, there genuinely has not been that much progression and stuff. Like, actually, let me pull up the 2019, uh, uh, we have 2019 lineup. Um, one sec, adding on air again. So, the card we've got compared to uh, Blackpool last year. Um, you know, you're looking at so Joel Coffey's in the main event last year, he's in the main event now. Um, Tony Storm in a women's title match last year, she's in a women's title match this year. Uh, Eddie Dennis was in a match last year, he's in a match this year. Um, if, you, if you're looking like the only changes to the card really are people who have signed, like you no know, tag, no tag title match aside. Jordan Devlin was meant to be on the card. He got pulled last minute. Um, Walter wasn't signed last year. Um, no, Kaylee Wayne, Piper Niven weren't signed at this point last year. So, no, a lot of this, it's really exposing how little development's being done. And again, you compare the two cards side by side. Um, so it wasn't Jordan Devlin who was pulled last year. It was Travis Banks who was meant to face last year. But you were looking the two side by side. Um like Mark Andrews, Flash Morgan, Webster, they're in the undercard of the TV t- uh, taping with uh, Icon and Bartel, Imperium. Uh, I'm looking how this whole lineup, the only people who were signed this time last year who weren't on the card, Wolfgang and Mark Coffey. No, Trent and Tyler were in a tag title match. And it's like, to me, the only people who've moved up. It's been Pete Dunne, and he's moved on to what I call full fat NXT. And for, you know, for a card like this in 12 months to have that little shake-up, you know, I, I don't believe conspiracy theorists with a tinfoil hat and say, oh, NXT UK is placeholder wrestling for you know, you know for, for corporation. May well be. But this, to me, just says how little has been done with the talent they have in 12 months. Now, um, obviously, this year... Obviously, this past week, uh, WWE moved to BT Sport in the UK, and NXT UK is now actually on TV in this country. It's not just a network-only show. Um, I think, now, I don't have BT Sport, so I'll still be watching on the network. But what I did notice was quite a few people complaining about the way that show was edited. So, you watched this week, and that show ran an hour, five minutes long. Um in the UK, an hour's TV slot's usually about 45, 50 minutes, so I had to make some cuts to fit in the hour. The other issue they had was censorship. So, do you recall 
I'm sure you've seen shots back in the day when WCW was on Channel 5 and the editing they had to do for that. I heard about it. Yeah. So back, for those who don't know, in the late 90s when WCW was around, ask your dad if you're not old enough, uh, they had to put pretty much like the Batman-style comic book things to censor chair shots like. So it's been, no, it, we're used to it now, you know, if wrestling airs before the 9pm watershed, you'd get crowd shots or they just freeze frame it out. What they would do on WCW Worldwide, they'd throw like these Batman things, so you'd see, I don't know, Hugh Morris throw a chair shot, and you'd just see this massive POW graphic on the screen. Um, which, you know, is very funny, but at the same time, it's like, it really kills the, what legitimacy that product had. But, so yeah, so, uh, NXT UK, at least week one on BT Sport, they did the freeze frame stuff. And main event last week was Ilya and Alexander Wolf, no DQ. And they were freeze framing to censor out Kento stick shots just before 10 o'clock at night, which, you know, that's well after the watershed in the UK and, you know, pissed off a lot of people. But unfortunately, that is what it is. You know, I don't know if that Friday time slot is confirmed, as in if it's a regular one. Um, I mean, going on the card, on paper, it reads like an absolute all-star lineup for you know, the, the indie wrestling scene over here from you know, two, three years back. But it, it just speaks to something that, I don't know, I'm, and again, we've got no NXT UK this week. It's probably going to be a hype special. There's absolutely no buzz for this for the moment. Now, no, ask again on Saturday or well, you know, this time next week before the show starts, um, there may well be. But as you know, I'm sitting here now, you know, Sunday Sunday afternoon, I'm hearing precious little buzz for this show. And to me, I think that's more of an indictment on NXT UK than anything else is so far. It feels like everything, it's like time stands still in NXT UK. Like, stuff happens, but stuff doesn't happen. Like, Jordan Devlin seems like a guy that should be doing so much more, and he's only kind of now starting to do something. Uh, and it's like, the Joe Coffey thing. It's like, you're going to main event again with Joe Coffey, really. After the well, match he had last year. Well, that match is still going on. It's not. It certainly feels like it was. But, I mean, the problem is... I don't know, and I'm not going to say it is like talking as many like that, but the big complaint about NXT UK is that you're getting a lot of beardy Scottish blokes, a lot of people with beards, and that's you know, any other kind of representation just kind of stops there. Like, you know, I'm not one for you know, having you know, the token, you know, person of colour, black person, whatever you want to call on the card, but you know, just for sake of representation. But it is very painfully noticeable how you know, white, pale, and stale this roster is at the moment, to, to coin a phrase. But but we got, like, UK Kofi. I mean, <laughs> and again, like, Oliver Carter, you know, he's a nice guy. You know, he's fine, but he wasn't that big a name on the, on the indie scene. And what I've noticed, you know, through the well, 75, 76 episodes of NXT UK is almost, no, the odd exception, if you weren't a big name on the UK indie scene going in, you aren't getting made. Like, 
I think Ilya Dragunov's the one guy who's kind of, you know, sidestep that and coincidentally he's been getting a bit of a push in progress at the same time. But, like, you're looking at um, Jack Stars, for instance. Perennial jobber, he's good for taking a chop from Walter, but hasn't won. Killer Kelly, she's one who a lot of people hold up as, you know, when she, you know, when she signed uh, the Royal Albert Hall shows a couple of years back, you know, she was getting quite a bit of buzz. She debuted for WXW, I want to say, just over two years ago. Um, it was like a late replacement in a women's tournament they had uh, over one of the weekends. And, you no, know, went to win the you know, WXW women's title, got signed. And if I'm looking now on cage match, I think the only match she's won me was a non-televised match against Charlie Morgan in August 2018. That's like so, and every other match has been lost. And it's not even a case of, you know, like the Goto losses where it's been fight so far and then lose. Most of those losses have been televised squashes. Yeah, they're like two, three minute matches. I like her a lot. I she's someone I kept like. I was like, oh, hopefully they're going to do something with her. It's like, hey, Killer Kelly's on this week. Like, two minutes later, it's like, well, nice seeing you. See you next month. It's like, it's insane. I mean, obviously, I was a big fan of her since that first NXT, uh, since that first uh, WXW weekend I did. And it's just maddening how, you know, it speaks to this roster, how you've gotten so many names in that lineup, you know, who were, you know, trapped in that warehouse in Enfield. And yet nothing's been done. Like I'm, I'm looking now through, like you've got names who who are like Wild Boar and Primate. They threw together as a tag team, but they no, they maybe open match. Like I think they were last seen against. God, who's who's that guy who did the one evolve show and just no. Uh, no his g- name is Dorian Mack now, but it was Dan Matha. Yeah, he had had one evolve show, and he's no, he's the guy who think no perfect luck. You no, know, be you no know, a main event guy, special evolve level. It's like that's a special kind of talent to you know have one appearance and never be used again on evolve, especially considering you no know, the whole background of you no know, NXT. But again, there may be other things to play. But I just heard the, you know, the promos which um, weren't for the I want to say faint farm, but weren't exactly the best in terms of you know connecting with the modern day woke crowd, shall we say? Yeah. Them. Yeah, going back on, on this card, also, uh, I'll go through the way they announced on TV this week. Uh, NXT UK Women's Championship, Kaylee Ray defending against Tony Storm, Piper Niven. Uh, on paper, that would be a fantastic match. Um, the storyline we've had was obviously Tony lost at Takeoff Cardiff, uh, went AWOL for a bit, uh, most recently he's come back. Uh, obviously wants the title back and has been trying to get Piper Niven to step down. Uh, Piper won't, so you've got that three-way skirmish. The one little question mark that's come up, which hasn't been addressed on TV yet because, again, it's all pre-taped uh, a while back. Uh, Piper Niven, I think it was just around Christmas time, uh, had a, a bout of Bell's palsy, uh, the same uh, condition JR's had. Uh, now, it's obviously not somewhere she's not going to be able to work. She's been, you know, been posting there on face on Twitter and Instagram, you know, recovery photos, how she's picking up. But I don't know if you know 
they're going to try and do something like we did with you no know, uh, Travis Banks last year, where you know, they try and write her out and use that to cover something like that. I hope they don't, to be perfectly honest, because you know, it's a free way. If this gets time, it should be at least be damn sight better than that Cardiff match. Um, again, you know, there was talk. But things after that Cardiff match, actually, there was talk of Tony Storm being called up to uh, full fat NXT. She did survive a series, as did Kaylee Ray. But again, no, NXT UK has pretty much been a running in pl- uh, brand that's been running in, pr- in place. So, yeah, it's this one, I know anyone could win it and no, would be no detriment or no fallout either way. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree with you. Like on paper, I really like this match because I like all three of them. Unfortunately, Kaylee Ray and Tony Storm did not have like a very good match in Cardiff at all. I was very disappointed by that one. And, like, Piper Niven's just been, like... She's just been kind of there in NXT UK. Like, like no sense of urgency in really building her. Making, like, like, me want to care about her, even though I like her a lot. And it just... They all feel, like, really underdeveloped. It's like, yeah, you have the story with Tony Storm wanting to get the title back. And so I'm sitting there thinking to myself, it's like... Do you want to crown a new champion? Do you want to cut Kaylee Ray's legs off already with, like, really nothing in this title run? Do you want to give Piper Niven a chance who feels kind of ice cold? Or do you want to go back to Tony Storm? It's like, uh, I don't know. I, I'd really want Kaylee Ray to retain, honestly. I think I think there's legs with that. I think you need to give her a chance. You need to build up some actual damn challengers. And, like, people that you can care about. And I don't care about Ginny talking around and walking around with Jazzy Gabbard because that does nothing for me. I mean, going on about building challenges, that's kind of been a bit of an issue that... So, I mean, I mean it's out of it. No, it's not exactly secret for guys who work in progress, mostly work on NXT UK. I don't know, and I don't want to say they're the exclusive people who have creative... But I'll say a lot of flaws with progress, and especially their women's division, you are seeing with NXT UK. Like, you're not getting that much of a women's division. It's the one match every other show, if you're lucky. And, you no, know, so you have your champion, you have your challenger, everyone else there, uh, twiddle your thumbs, you know, better luck next time, that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, Kaylee Ray, she, what, debuted, I'm looking now, she debuted, uh, tapings in July, then straight into a title match. Um, we're looking right, if I'm looking right anyway, this is going to be her second title defence. Um, again, this is cage match, but her first title defence was on the Largo loop. It's like, again, that speaks volumes for this division. Where, like, okay, you've got weekly TV, but the fact that a lot of these titles don't even get defended apart from takeoffs, like, well, it makes a whole TV show not even worth watching. Because you're not even having the, the fake pretense you have on house shows of anything can happen, titles may change, because you don't have the damn titles on the house shows. Um, yeah, looking looking at this, <sighs> I think the, the best result would be Kaylee Way def- uh, retaining the title. Um, you know, Tony Storm... Uh, another loss isn't going to do anything for her. And to be honest, I think the natural spin-off from this would be Tony against Piper. And if that circles back to, you no, know, whoever challenging Kaylee Ray on, on the summer takeover, then great. But, you 
yeah, this one is the match is definitely less than some of its parts. I feel. I agree. Uh, next up on the list, we have Eddie Dennis against Trent Seven. Um, Eddie, I've got a lot of time for. I mean, the story he had, he used to be a teacher. He gave up, uh, if he was a head teacher, he gave up that job to focus on wrestling full time. Then weeks later, he tore, I think it was the pectoral muscle. Then someone got a WWE contract. Um, he's just literally come back from injury. So I believe in terms of NXT matches, um, you're looking at not very much in terms of no uh, track record go off of um he beat uh Dries gordon on a, in a squash a couple of weeks back and then the last tv match he had then was back in january the day yeah back in january uh another squash so he's a guy i think they had or have plans for him um problem is you know we've got the question mark of the two very serious injuries back to back um Trent Seven, on the hand, you know, they make no bones about, you know, uh, calling him an NXT UK original. He's one of those in a very weird spot, like, obviously, Pete Dunne's been called up to NXT, Tyler Bate, you have to think it's just a matter of time for him. For Trent, I don't really think that's an option. I, and I also don't think, you know, any kind of single spelt is an option for him with the belt I have on at the moment. This very, me- this very well may be his level. And that's not a slant on Trend 7, it's just you know, the amount of talent this brand's got signed up. You know, Trend 7 on his own may well be you know, mid-card singles act. Uh, as far as who wins, and you're going to get this a fair bit on here, you, know, you, can, you may as well toss a coin because you know, this storyline I think was thrown together with just Eddie Dennis wandering in and making a nuisance for himself. There really isn't much beef beyond that apart from Oh, God, what was it? Uh, the match with Eddie Dennis interrupted on, again, NXT UK with Michael May. And if you, you know, if you want to look on Twitter, that's created a whole uh, can of worms amongst some fans there, just him being involved. But, uh, yeah, this match, whoever wins, whoever loses, I don't think it's going to change their career trajectory in NXT. Um, I could see Eddie winning because he's a heel no first win back after the injury. Yeah, it's it's crapshoot this one. Yeah, the the Eddie thing is like really odd because he did seem like a guy that they had plans for. Then yeah, he has the bad injury. He goes odd, and he's back now. And like he did that squash match the other week, and I don't know if he came back too soon, but I was getting like a a big Paul Orndorff vibe with that arm. Like, it, so, it does not look real good to me. Yeah, so, I'm again looking at the cage match, so I'm going to ignore the, quote, match he had at Progress in September because that match was him doing the Seth Rollins, hey, I'm cashing the title shot and literally putting a foot on on David Starr after he'd been hit for chair. Um, that match against Doris was actually his first match back from injury, so... You know, you could maybe make an argument of that was being, you know, being rushed back. Um, he has had four matches since. Uh, there was one he had against David Starr in mid-December in progress, which he looked fine. Uh, there was one round probably going to be catching tonight, if not this week, uh, from Progress's own mystery show last week against uh, the OJMO, who 
no, again, I don't wish ill of anyone's career, but I sincerely hope his name does not find its way anywhere close to this show anytime soon. But that's my reply. But yeah, uh, so he's had four or five matches since his injury. Um, and I think with him, like, if he's fully fit, no, uh, like, fully fit, no injuries, he's a fantastic person to have on the roster. He's an agile-ish big guy. My only concern is what's the creator from him. And I, from what I've seen with him against Trent, I don't really think there's much beyond this just being there to re-establish him. So, yeah. He came yeah. back and was a dick. That's the book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think I, that's the main bit. As far as Trent, uh, Trent Seven goes, I like Trent a lot. He's, But like as you point out, he's, he's a man without an island because British Strong Style is basically dead. Pete's gone. I think Tyler is on the way out because, like, they had him on NXT, like, the one week, and, like, it seemed like they were teasing him coming in. And so it's like Trent Seven is, he's a dude. And I like him a lot, though, because he's a guy that I look at this way. He's over. He can work. He's a good promo. And you know what? He generally delivers... I think it you know, maybe like you said, it is his level. He can be a great player coach for younger guys or serve as a stepping stone for somebody like Eddie here that they might have bigger plans for. And I don't think that's the worst role for him because he is older and everything. And I don't see them being, you know, he's not coming to NXT unless they want to do like a random tag or trios with his buddies. He's definitely not going to the quote unquote main roster. Cause I could see Vince looking at him going, what the fuck is this guy? Well, the other thing as well is you've got to remember Trent and Tyler were NXT Tag Champions. Yeah. No, they won on the uh, Royal Albert Hall shows I was at a few years back. They had that run. They had that great match for Undisputed Era. They lost the belts and they've not been mentioned since. So, again, you know, with Trent and Tyler, one of them has got one foot out the door. They just don't know which door, you know, which foot it is. <laughs> um, and that is also hurting them on the indie scene, uh, Again, not to keep dragging back to that. On uh, Tyler Bates, one of those guys, he's had this big farewell from Progress. Did miss a return last week as a, on the mystery show. But this whole uncertainty over where guys are, where they're going to, it doesn't really help because, you no, know, if, if they don't know where... Like, if, did you watch much uh, OVW back in there, or at least keep track of it? I did. When, uh, I did for a while, yeah. So the issues Jim Cornette had or complained about, and he's complained about a lot of things in recent times, but back in the day, his big complaint wasn't flips and crap. It was, you know, they called up Damager and Doug Basham, and now my number one blood feud, they're now happy-go-lucky tag team partners, brothers. That's the same kind of thing they're having here, but it's not to the extent of, hey, they're calling up uh, you know, my blood feud and turn them into a throwaway tag team on SmackDown. It's we generally don't seem to know what the plans are for NXT. Like, you had Tyler Bates in the early days of NXT on USA. Uh, Travis Banks been on recently. Uh, and it just feels like with NXT UK being a, I don't say red-headed stepchild, but it's almost like the afterthought, pardon the expression, nobody seems to know, apart from the big names, what everybody else is doing. So it makes it very hard to plan because, you know, next match, Jordan Devlin and Tyler Bates. Um, no, no, you'd find very little argument for Jordan Devlin being one of the most improved wrestlers in the last three or four years. Problem is, 
Tyler, he's up against Tyler Bate, who, as far as we know, could be on the NXT roster this time next week, full time. And you know, this we said for this match, if I, you know, if you don't mind me saying so, absolutely boiled my piss. Uh, they've done all these for stare downs, but was the last NXT UK before Christmas. Um, Jordan Devon against A Kids. Great little match. Literally the second that three count went, oh, here's Tyler Bates. Oh, well, forget about A Kid. We're going to move on to this match now. And it's like, it was just felt so rushed. It, it, it shouldn't affect it, but for me, it was like, you couldn't wait to get away from this one match because you had, you had the star. And that you know, kind of is the, the big thing here is NXT UK has the big stars and then everybody else is kind of there. Yeah. It, like, the thing that annoys me with Jordan Devlin is the dude is extremely talented. And if you watch NXT UK, you would generally never know it. Because while he has a bunch of good matches, all of his best work is outside of WWE. Yep. While under WWE contract, mind you. Yeah, that, that's that's another weird one. Like, obviously, no TT. You know, the Jordan Devlin David Starr match is going to be the, the top of a lot of people match for year about for 2019. Um, and to me, it just boggles my mind how Jordan Devlin in NXT UK. I don't want to say he's been an afterthought, but he's it's just pretty damn close. Yeah, he's a dude. It's annoying. It's like if you look at Devlin versus Bate as a straight wrestling match. Outside of the latter match, this feels like it should be the best match on the show. Yep, because, on pace, that should be match for night. Yeah, Absolutely. because both guys are awesome. We've seen Tyler Bate deliver in and out of WWE. We've seen Devlin outside of WWE fucking crush it with Walter and David Starr and others. So it's like there's no reason this shouldn't be a great match. So, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. Like you said, though, uh, it's like the problem is, is like, are you actually going to do something with Jordan Devlin? It's like, because I think he should win because it feels like Tyler's on the way out. And I don't want to, I'm not one of those that WWE needs more belts, guys. But when you look at NXT UK and you see guys like Devlin and Ilya Dragunov, it's like, I kind of like sit there and I'm like, you know, wouldn't kill him to have a secondary title because you have these guys that they aren't doing anything with. And at least you can maybe do something with some of them in that regard. Again, I'm not trying to say more belts fixes everything, but I'm looking at these talented guys that they just don't do anything with. And speaking of talented guys, you brought them up. You know, they signed a dude like a kid who, if you go online and you see stuff with like Osprey and Sabre, Dude is spectacular, and nobody's going to know it because he's probably only going to be on TV every seven weeks. Yeah, we do one. We have two two days of taping every few weeks. Like you know, said this, you know, the Killer Kellys of the world. If they'll be the kind of guys who miss main floor with the NXT UK taping format, and also was the same case with NXT before they went live, you'll have guys who are on one match. You maybe won't see them for another month. Then have a second match. If you're looking for the tapings uh, fall in a certain way, you maybe get them two out of three weeks. But because of the way we do the tapings, it's everyone on the roster has a match on day one, everyone on the roster has a match on day two. It's very hard to build up stuff with just the in-ring. And it's like, with Jordan Devlin, I mean, this game is nothing that really sticks with me. 
you still have the fans who hang on. Oh, you're just a shit Finn Balor. Balor's for chant when he you know, started wrestling in England what, three years ago. It's 2020. We should be beyond past that, but I guarantee when Blackpool on Saturday, you were going to get those chants. Oh, you're just a shit Finn Balor. It's like, why? You know, it's because, dare I say, it's, you know, at some level, it's people being reduced to, we've done nothing, or, well, he looks kind of like Finn Balor. They say he's been trained by Finn Balor. Well, no, A, A plus B equals C. But, um, I mean, on, anyway, on paper, Devlin Tyler Bates should steal the show. I have no doubt it won't. Uh, whether it actually means anything, no, I have to say, because, again, this show now being on proper TV in the UK, no, should actually light a fire under its ass. But uh, the other match, I think, said, could give it a run for its money. Real uh, quick before we go on to yeah. that. You know, people, you talk about the shit Finn Balor thing. You know, no offense, I like Finn and all, but look at the past couple of years of Finn. Uh, maybe we should be calling Finn a shit Jordan Devlin. Well, that's a champ that's kind of been uh, thrown his, uh, Devlin's way as well. Like, don't be ironic, a reversal there. But again, it's one thing off the big question and I've written about this in the past is, what is the point in XC UK? Is it there just to create content for UK and with some alleged frustrate for UK scene? Or is it a genuine talent pipeline to the NXT slash main roster? Because if it is, you're, no, I'm looking at this card now. It's what, 3, 5, 7, 12, 19 names on this lineup. And there's very few on this lineup who I could say, you know, would look out of place in NXT. So, no. The problem is because, no. You know, it's been storied for you know the PC in Orlando is beyond full. You know, you've got a, you've got talent, you've got a pipeline supposedly developing, just nowhere from to go. So you end up with this where, you know, this year compared to last, the takeover lineup is just mostly shake, you know, move a few names around and hope you know get a good card out of it. Yeah, I don't know. My my general answer when people ask me what the purpose of NXT UK is, my my general response is, well, it was the fuck over World of Sport to start. Well, to be fair, I think World of Sport would have died if NXT hadn't started. And again, I'm not one of these conspiracy theorists, but it is very telling how the UK tournament started when the World of Sport pilot became a thing. NXT UK came around when World of Sport was taping again. The first takeover only happened because they were announcing the Performance Center. And the August takeover just happened to clash with, take your pick, All Out or the New Japan show in London. Yes. And, okay, they managed to you know, get a decent crowd. You know, whether you want to look at you know, the, the crowd they drew versus the size of the arena is another thing. There's an audience for this, but it's not, for your, it's not, not getting the buzz you'd think it would for most numbers. By the way, I find people that say they're not a conspiracy theorist tend to be a conspiracy theorist. Well, my tin hat's coming in the wash, so who knows? <laughs> no, it's, yeah, it's, you can track a lot of that UK stuff, and people like to, no, WWE's just, they're trying to help everybody. No, they're not. Come on now. I mean, it's not a coincidence, again, kind of off topic face, but since NXT UK started, there's been a very slow stream of talent from the UK scene relocating to Japan. Um, yeah, like Chris Brooks. Uh, we Chris Brooks about. Yeah, just announced he's going to be relocating to DDT for 
the rest of 2020. Um, Jamie Hayter, who allegedly is Eve's international champion, uh, but I, you know, a few bits of start of my watch, I think that belt's going to be next up on the side of a milk cart and after all, never titles. Um, Drew Parker, who's doing death matches with Big Japan, he's moving over there full time now. Um, you know, Sesamosh Martina. So you've got names who, in a normal climate, you'd expect would be you know a fairly big part of UK indies. Martina allegedly signed with Ring of Honor still, but has never shown up. I love that storyline ongoing. As long as she's cashing her paychecks, I'm not going to be good, Jim. No, fuck no. She's getting paid for never showing up. Good on her. God damn. You know what? I bet Chris Brooks is going to feel really silly, though, when he finds out he could have been working a hot three-and-a-half-minute match with Kona Reeves on fucking BT Sports. <laughs> yeah, you know the uh, meme about Kona Reeves, the next VXV shotgun champion? Oh, God. <sighs> yeah, that's... But, I mean, again, Chris Brooks, like, he was uh, wrestling yesterday head-to-head with uh, Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, I haven't seen the match. It was up on YouTube. It's not been archived yet. Uh, but it was a match where he was with Drew Parker. It was an intergender death match kind of thing. And it's like, which would you rather have done? Three minutes of corner reefs or f- pissing around throwing darts on one of your best friend's backs in a small room somewhere in Tokyo? Or wrestling in a fucking water park. That show was awesome. And with the elephants. So, again, he's a guy, he bet on himself. Hey, you know what? I, I love that, actually. It's like, listen, it's like... There's places to make money if you if you like put yourself out there and actually work. And dude got a shot, went over there, and now he's going to spend a year there. And I think that's awesome. And he's probably going to come back even better. So, and at the end of it all, if he comes back, you know, February 2021, and that WWE contract comes and he signs it, no one will be crutching because, and I'll say this now as someone who's been to more indie shows in the UK than any human probably should, and as people who've been to way more than me. There isn't that much more for them to do in the UK scene. No short of title reigns, which, you know, they're props. Let's, let's be honest, you know, they're, they're props. You know, he's created, you no know, two brands, you know, there's this schadenfreude and friends promotion that, you know, sells tickets out in a heartbeat. Like, you can, those tickets are literal gold dust. Um, anytime he puts T-shirts and what merchandise up, they go like hotcakes. That'll probably still continue while he's out in Japan, although the postage will be an absolute pain. Um, again, you've got guys like him who he's done pretty much every can short of the figurehead title reigns. Well, he's gone to Japan for a year, year and a bit after all this. If he comes back to the officer contract, no one will begrudge him because he's travelled, he's you know, expanded his horizons. And I'm not pointing the finger at anyone, but he's not been the kind of guy who people would accuse of, hey, you offered a bit of paper, you signed it, great. Well, now you... You know, you don't know which indies can work because you know Triple H may be in a bad mood this week. As long as he doesn't come back and start posting about how guys, I'm with WWE. I just want you to know, Brit Wrestling is perfectly fine. Uh, I think Pete's got that gimmick sewn up, but <laughs> we'll go back to the to the cards. Uh, the ladder match uh, for way for your next two UK tag titles, and I would do the New Japan joke that these are the only four tag teams, but. You know, we mentioned the hunt, they're nowhere to be seen. Um, Saxon Huxley and T-Bone, they've been breaking up and splitting apart like, you know, everyone's favourite feud and couple. Um, but yeah, this one, I don't know, any of the flying's going to be uh, Mandrews and Flash Morgan Webster, I feel. 
Uh, the Beaded Scots, they're not really known for flying. Uh, Fabian Eicher, Bar- Marcel Bartel, not known for flying. Zach Gibson and James Drake, not known for flying. So this just feels like, hey, we've got four teams. What should we do? Ladder match. Cool. Like, well, this, this I, I agree with it. The ladder match. I do agree with that, but I think the good news is if we look at this objectively, Gallus, the boys from Wales, and the grizzled young veterans had a really great match at the last takeover. Oh, absolutely. So they, they have some, of... they have chemistry and can work together. Eichner and Bartel, I love them. I think they're really great. And yep. uh, Andrews and Webster are probably going to do some really crazy and stupid shit with ladders. Yeah, I mean, there's that video that uh, Webster's posted of him on some endless ladder gimmick in, in the gym, which... At least I'll... It, it, all I'm going to say is this. If he does that goddamn shitty slow wrestler climb on a ladder, I'm sorry, mate, you've posted a video of you train that shit. So <laughs> don't, don't, don't try that with me, but... Now that but, I yeah, know that I'm going to be on the watch out for that turn to review. <laughs> but, yeah, it's... Um, I mean, it's, it's a match. It should be fine. The ladder match thing, I'm very much... Why is this a ladder match? Could you not done a four way? But yeah, they're throwing all the tag, all the, all what they think of the good tag teams into the mix. It'll be good. It'll be good. Um, it actually wouldn't surprise me if this opened the show and we'll have a nice hot spot fest to start the show with. Uh, I know we did that for tag title f- uh, tournament thing last year. Um, but again, it's a crapshoot. I think what we uh, the two likely scenarios here. I think will is going to be what we could have had with Lij. We just uh, talked about in Wrestle Kingdom. It's either going to be all Gallus for the gold, or it's going to be all Imperium for gold. I'm going Imperium because they booked Imperium to face Undisputed Era at that Worlds Collide show, and I think they're going to like the visual of the two stables, all with titles, fighting each other. Which would make sense. Uh, that um, World's Collide show, that's actually in an arena. It's not some godforsaken expo center like last year, is it? Right. Do we know how tickets are selling for that? Uh, I have not heard. And... I cannot imagine those are doing gangbusters. Like... I would think not. It's hard to tell. I know um, maybe when Dave gets back from Japan and starts breaking down some ticket info, we'll find out. I haven't heard anything, though. I mean, it has to be selling better than ROH, though. So, Well, they've, if they've sold a ticket, they've probably done better than ROH. But, yeah, I think with this, um, like I say, no, I think it's telling that three of the four teams of this match are or have been champions, which says you know, how much of that belt's been in a year. Uh, but I think yeah, it'll probably impede going to be the safe bet to win and you not know, going to Wells Clyde for the big you know, cross-brand synergy that... I think maybe you mean one other person might be interested in, but um, I guess that bleeds into the main event. Uh, Joe Coffees, who allegedly still hasn't finished his match with Pete Dunn from last year, tries to atone for that match against Walter. And I'm a big fan of Walter, so this isn't me being you know, a homer or anything like that, but why are they putting Joe Coffey in the main event? That is my question. The only thing I can come up with is that it could have been worse. It could have How? been Joseph Connors. He's actually there's something we've not said. He's takeover worthy. Where the <laughs> bloody hell is he on this card? Takeover pre-show worthy, probably. <laughs> because um, with the you know obviously with Joe Connors, I'm um, takeover worthy. He's been doing the t-shirt. Uh, 
invaded by beautiful girl and Travis Banks, which just seems to have wrapped up on TV and nothing's been mentioned. I wouldn't be shocked if he tried to you know, interject himself, maybe a bonus six match, even though that's not usually the way you know, takeovers work. Uh, but yeah, Walter Joe Coffey, it's two big lads. Coffee on his day is fine, but the problem is... Um, I've not seen him have that many, well, too many of those days. Like, back in the day, he used to you know, be a regular in uh, walk culture. Um, you know, decent enough big lad, but again, he's one of these who I'm looking now, he's in the original uh, no, uh, title tournament in 2018. No, sorry, this is the um, uh, Albert Hall So he was originally a guy who was signed to World of Sports, and then when that pilot didn't go anywhere, um, he ended up you know, taking the, the redeal. Weirdly, it's not been one of those where he signed and just stopped doing all of in, indie work. Like, there's been some guys who signed and then just, nope, I'm WWE exclusive now, whether they've asked for it or not. Um, the point where going through... Actually, this is a... Oh, yeah, that's last year. Um, going through, like, hitting like a cage match... There is an absolute flood of independents he's worked for, mostly in Scotland, mind you. But yeah, he's not someone who's just you not know, taking the WWE money and uh, you know sat back. Um, he, if you look in matches against Walter, I think no, they've not had that many. It was that um, four and four match they had uh, Survivor Series week, which was the double count out. And before that was that weird one with uh, Pete Dunne in tag team, Pete and Walter against uh, the Coffee Brothers. So there's not really even like a form book you can point to for you know, how you'd expect it to go. Um, Walter usually doesn't have bad matches, especially at this level. Uh, but again, you've just got a huge question mark hanging over Joe Coffee after takeover last year. Um, I would hope they've learned stuff from that, like... He's not going to go up and try and do like superplexes and slip and then just try again. But yeah, that match, I don't have expectations for. And that's just me temper my own, uh, no prevent for disappointment on. Yeah, I, I'm like you. I love Walter. I, the man does not disappoint. I have full faith in him to hold up his end and probably drag Joe Coffee along for part of his end. The problem here is with Joe Coffee, and he's. The best way to put this is, he's fine. He does nothing to wow you, but he also doesn't really do anything wrong. He's fine, but you look back on that match last year with Pete Dunne, it's hard to have a bland, lethargic match with Pete Dunne. But Joe Coffey did it. It was fine, but it was really flat, it went way too long. Joe Coffey never felt like a proper contender or threat to the title. And then you add on to the fact that the length also really exposed his shortcomings as a performer. And I fear to God that that happens here. And I hope it doesn't. I, as you said, I hope they learned their lesson. He's a fine mid-card leader of a mid-card stable in Gallus. He's not your fucking main eventer. And the fact that they're main eventing with him a second time, and the fact that they've only had three NXT UK pay-per-views, is a giant problem. Whose fucking mom does he have pictures of? I mean, if again, if you want to go down the conspiracy route, I do wonder if there's some kind of uh, 
agreement, you know, you have to represent each country. Like, obviously, no, obviously you've got the, the women's matches, two-thirds Scottish. Um, you know, Eddie Dennis is Welsh. Jordan Devlin Irish. Um, no, is, no, is, is there some kind of mindset of we have to keep the Scots happy because, I don't know, but it just seems to me like the, the way it's skewed, like, Gallus have been in part of you know, NXT UK from day one, or since TV anyway. And it's like, who's asking for this? Like, you've got, you know, again, I'm just looking at my right last week. Cassius Ono, sorry, Cassius Ono, you know, had a you know, decent match of Ligero. Not in the cards, probably going to be having, a, was it Dave Mastiff he had the um, backstage thing with? So it's probably going to be him and Dave Mastiff. No pre-show for no next week's TV. It's like to me, just it's not the names on this card aren't worrying. It's the names that aren't on the card, and you know, I said it just speaks to just how little development there is. Now, I'm not saying Jack Star should suddenly be on Takeover, but following the main NXT Takeover formula really exposes this brand as a whole. It really does. That's kind of the. That's the, that's the ongoing problem, and you've mentioned the move to BT Sports now, and how in theory you would think it's going to hopefully make the TV show tighter and maybe have a little more sense of urgency. Um, I hope that's the case because it's like NXT UK is, I guess it's kind of like Joe Coffee. The show is normally fine. It, it the the best thing I can also say about it is. It doesn't piss me off like Raw or something. You know what I mean? I don't sit there and get angry. I may be frustrated that people aren't being used or used better and stuff like that, but I never sit there and like, Christ, that's like the stupidest thing I've seen on TV in years. You know, it's fine. But as you've said, there's just this giant collection of talent there. And they seem to have no sense of urgency in using them and building them up and being more than just fine. Yeah. I mean, like, that's that's the biggest issue I have with NXT UK. Like, it, no, no, this is on the assumption that it was going to be inevitable, WWE was going to come in, you know, whether it's because of World of Sport, whether it's because, you know, New Japan fishing around or what have you. It's just that if you have a company, I don't care what lets you stick before, if it was New Japan, you know, doing you know, New Japan or England, and they had the same thing and the same output... I'll be just as mad. The fact that you've got guys like Travis Banks, when NXT UK started TV, was Progress World Champion just about. Not on the cards. No, and no, they put him on main NXT to try and drum up interest for the World's Collide show, yet he can't get an NXT UK takeover? Like, no, it just as a casual fan. Like, if I'm watching NXT on USA Network, and I'm looking around, oh, I like this Travis Banks, he must be a big star on NXT UK. Okay, where is he? It's just it's just that kind of stuff of maybe it's you no know, left hand not knowing what the right hand's doing, or you know, whether it's just uh, he was the nearest guy who's available to fly into those shows. But yeah, it, again, I think the biggest issue with NXT UK is not like the storylines are fine. You know, there's there's no bullshit finishes, or there's no you know, none of the stupid stuff that you see on Raw, SmackDown, or anything like that. It's dare I say, the gentleman's free star of TV shows. It's fine. They do stuff. The biggest missed opportunity for me, though, is how TNA, you know, even now, 
they'll build up to maybe a big TV special once a month. They're not doing that with NXT UK. So they've pretty much said it's going to be two takeovers a year. So that means out of 52 weeks of TV, <coughs> you get maybe, what, three, four weeks? of Two lots of three or four weeks where it actually means something. So you've got you know, the vast, vast majority of the year. You're just sat twiddling your thumbs. Oh, well, you know, Dave Mastiff won a match. Oh, he's going to have a feud with Jordan Devlin. Jordan Devlin wins. Bye-bye, Dave Mastiff. You know, stuff that means nothing. Everyone's spinning their wheels. Can't build momentum. And then all of a sudden, well, it's takeover season again. We suddenly mean, you know, we suddenly mean something now. It's like, for a lot of the casual fans, and bear in mind, this is an hour-long TV show. You know, it's supposed to be the easiest format to digest. And you've got people who, like, followed a lot of these guys religiously on the indie scene, won't even watch this because the show ultimately is meaningless. Yeah, that's a shame because it's just you sit there and you look at the rosters and everything, and there's there's way too much talent there for this to be just a show. It's completely and, frustrating to me. And again, it's just the whole thing of you know you have all those names to hand, like the fact that you don't even do I don't know once every other month you have a two hour special or even just an hour special and go right. Here's a mini takeover. We have Walter defending against Eddie Dennis. We have Kaylee Ray defending against Sia Brookside. We've got Gallus, Wolfgang Mark Coffee defending against The Hunt. They go three matches. No, it means that no, even if you do it over a no, two day TV taping, if people come both days, well, day one, you build them to the show on day two. But those matches on day two actually mean something. It's not just uh, the crowd are excited because it's the open on day two. The crowd are excited because it's the finish on day two. It's the main event and they're conditioned to cheer. It just, I mean, again, I've got nothing against the guys on the show, nothing against people running it. But uh, it just absolutely staggers me how little buzz and how little momentum they've gotten out of all of this. Yeah, and the thing is, too, is like, you know, for the most part, it's like, this shit airs on the WWE Network. It's been airing on the WWE Network for 76 episodes now. There's no reason, you, like you said, you can't do an occasional special 90-minute episode. We're having a world title match and a number one contenders match for the tag title. Something, like you said, like mini Clash of the Champions, mini TakeOver, whatever you want to call it. There's absolutely no reason not to do that, especially when you were locked in that network era. Now, again, it might, it might be a little more difficult now that you're going to be on BT Sports and stuff, but the fact is, you had the opportunity this whole time to do it, and you chose not to do it. Yeah. So. And again, no. And I'm not saying that you know, the people running it were you know, chose to do it like or have been forced to do it like that, but it just feels like very. You know, the, the big uh, criticism has been thrown in WWE for a while. It's cookie cutter, it's cookie cutter wrestling. Yeah. And the thing, too, is if you're only going to do like two takeovers a year. There's no reason why you can't fit in three or four 90-minute specials in no. the middle of those. Like you do TakeOver in January, and then in March or April, or, you know, away from Mania time, maybe May, you do a special in May. You know, and Then you do your TakeOver in August, and then maybe in the last half of the year you fit in another special or two. No reason you can't do that and spread it out and actually give the brand some urgency, which is really desperately what it needs. Urgency and just an overall sense of direction. Well, I mean, the fact that you know, 
in the big you know, family of WWE brands, we've got Raw, SmackDown, NXT. This really, they say main event gets more buzz than NXT UK. Oh, God. Um, and well, maybe 205 Live, and I mean, that's gone to shit in the last few weeks as well, oh, so. Yeah. Bad this week. Not only did I have to deal with Arya Devari, I had to deal with the Sings. But at least you got your taste of modern day OVW as well in that match. Just not good. So. Well, Ian, this has been fun. I think it was fun kind of digging into the NXT UK problems, especially with you on since you are over there and you have uh, lived a lot of it and you've gone to a bunch of the indies and you've seen kind of the stuff happening and you, you know, the, the big joke, every, every time someone gets signed or something bad happens or a company shows on, I, I die at the fact that everybody retweets that fucking Pete Dunn tweet about Brit wrestling being perfectly fine. Well, they, I mean, the kind of argument I'm using now is Brit wrestling isn't dying, but we had its you know, rebirth a few years back. This is kind of like the afterbirth now. It's not, no, the good bit's over. It's not dead, but this bit probably isn't the prettiest part to look at. <laughs> All right, so that'll uh, that'll wrap us up. Ian, where can the fine people find your work? Yep, so you can find uh, most of my reviews over on backbodydrop.com. Uh, we've also got photos if you want to go to through the lens of a fan.com. Uh, it's linked on the website. Basically, a lot of the indie shows to go to, so Rev Pro, uh, Good Wrestling. Anyone who's living in around Milton Keynes area, head over to that. They've got a show in about two weeks. Uh, it's pretty good. It's actually going to be one of Chris Brooks' final shows. And then, yeah, I think over in March, be going over to DirectW for 16 Carat Gold and hoping to keep my record of reviews being posted before the fans have left the building. So it's a nice little personal goal to keep going on. All right, fair enough. Yeah, everybody make sure you check out Ian's work. Good friend. I'm glad you joined me today. Thank you very much. This has been uh, episode 80 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. Remember, you can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the 411mania.com website, any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, share us around on social media, and if you have time, leave us a five-star review on the podcasting platform of your choice. Have a good week, everybody.